Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Halloween. Happy Halloween. It's Monday, October 31st, and my world happens to be in downtown Memphis today. Uh, All kinds of music comes to mind. Lisa wanted me to open with Walking in Memphis. That would be appropriate. Uh, Since I just spent three days on the train to get here, I was thinking uh, Jimmy Buffett's Land Sharks. I think he says something about three days on a train. Uh, But we can't play any of that music because all the uh, streaming services would delete us because it's all copyrighted. So uh, I decided I'll just sing them all instead. Um, if I do that, the show's going to be over pretty quick. And as a matter of fact, we wouldn't even be on the air right now unless, uh, except for the fact that Lisa called me about 30 times, about 30 minutes ago till I finally woke up. Um, I literally just got into Memphis this morning at about 5.30. I took a train from Portland to Chicago, started Friday afternoon, um, Left Chicago last night about 8 o'clock. It was a horrible ride down here as far as sleep. The whole time on the train, the sleep has not been good for me. Uh, before I get too deep into that, I'm going to into this. I'm going to uh, tell you to call because I, uh, well, I've got some things I could talk about if you don't call, but uh, it'd be better if you did. Uh, I'm sitting here drinking a, uh, a double espresso to try to wake up and get my wits about me. I made it over here to the airport about uh, 6.30, I think. Had a big breakfast, a big cup of coffee. Thought I was going to work for an hour or two before the show and get all my topics ready. And instead, I thought, I'm going to take a nice hot shower. And then I had the room nice and cold and dark, and I crawled into bed, and I was out. So, uh I'm doing a double espresso now to try to wake up so I can sound somewhat intelligent. So call me, 855-950-3835. Phone lines are open. We'll get to those calls here in just a couple minutes. Um, I was putting together some um, numbers for the keynote I'll be giving tomorrow here in Memphis, and then again Thursday in Nashville. So I'll be here in Memphis for a couple days, then I'll drive up to Nashville. A couple days there. Um, I have two keynotes to do, and my theme is really a couple things. One, how we can just become much more efficient in the trucking industry overall, and um, really talking about the owner-operator model. And, and doing that with the owner-operator model. I have some ideas for the company driver model as well, uh, and I'm going to talk about those during the keynote, but uh, I am going to spend some time on how I believe the owner-operator model can be the most efficient way to move freight, and then changing the pay system for company drivers, um, making the entire industry more efficient. And... I, I was even shocked at how inefficient we really are. Uh, I I thought I was going to put together a lot of numbers around this, but once I started to to work on the numbers, they're so big that they just won't 
sometimes when numbers get too big, they don't have an impact because we can't get our head around it. So I, I boiled it down to just a couple numbers. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on them in the keynote. Uh, I'm going to spend more time on how we can fix it. You know, I'm going to outline the problem and then spend most of my time on ideas on how we can improve those things. But some of the numbers, um, I was pretty shocked. Again, though, they're they're just so big, it's hard to get our head around it. So the average fuel economy, I, I went and looked, depending on who you check with, um, I've seen numbers from the ATA, I've seen numbers from the TCA, I've seen numbers from ATRI. Uh, I went with some numbers that I actually found from NACFI. I've worked with NACFI since they got started uh, a little over a decade ago. And I just trust their numbers more than anybody. I think they've put a lot of effort into this. They had a range, actually, which really made a lot of sense from about 4.5, roughly. They took it all the way down to the 100th. I think it was 4.53, up to 6.54, somewhere around there. Um, which really does make a lot of sense. You know, I, I think if we were to look at drive-in only, we haven't reached seven yet. If we were to look at the uh, specialized segments, we talk about them all the time, uh, car haulers, um, oversize, heavy haul, where four and a half really is uh, about the range. So NACFI was the only one that actually broke that out. So I'm going to use their number of 65 as an overall average for the industry, which actually is kind of pathetic because um, both Joel and I had talked about it many times. Joel and I started in the industry about the same time. We really only operated about uh, two hours away from each other, uh, both of us in Ohio at the time. And we really both started focusing on fuel economy and and ended up in about the same place. Joel's been able to take it quite a bit farther in the last several years. Uh, It really is his entire focus now. So I love having that as a resource here on the show. But Joel and I have talked about both of us were, were exceeding seven in the early 90s. And to see that the industry still hasn't reached where we were that long ago is um, is kind of sad. The other thing I'm a little worried about as far as the industry goes is that I have a feeling with all this push and talk about electric uh, from the government, from the administration, from California saying, you know, 30 some percent of the trucks are going to have to be electric uh, in the next decade or so. I have a feeling that fleets aren't going to want to invest in fuel economy. And, and that's sad. And it's a mistake. It's a real mistake. They should start right now. They should have started a long time ago. Um, here's some numbers. Uh, I think that had the industry started really focusing on fuel economy back in the early 90s, um, that seeing an average of nine and a half today would not have been difficult. It really wouldn't have. Now, trying to get our average in the industry up to nine and a half now is going to be tough. It's going to take time. When I was working with fleets on fuel economy, things that an owner operator could put in place and already be measuring differences in 30 days takes a fleet about a year. 
And I, every time I tell people that, they're like, oh, no way. Why would it take that long? It, it does. It takes them, first off, it takes them at least six months of, of testing to even think about making a change. In six months, most of them aren't going to get their testing done in six months. Um, it's why I stopped working fleet with fleets. It was just too frustrating. And when you're out there kind of on that, that cutting edge trying to develop new technologies, most of the time they're not ready for prime time. They're not ready for fleets. They are really owner-operator technologies when you've got a good driver that has, has the ability to make the decisions and controls the truck and everything that's going on with it. So as an industry, I think we need to start now, but it would be a long time before we got to this number. I think we would be at that number or more had we been working on this all the time. But here's what that means. I think nine and a half as a fleet is achievable. It's going to take us a while. Um, Messiah Valley puts out numbers like this. So if they could do it, the whole industry could have. By not getting nine and a half, here's what we're wasting. And this is where these numbers get so big that you think, oh, okay, it's just it's a number. Um, we waste nine billion gallons of fuel year after year after year. Now, what's the big news today? The big news is that we're about to run out of diesel fuel. Would it be better if we could save 9 billion gallons a year? And I know we use a lot. We really do. But 9 billion gallons is not insignificant. Now, more importantly than saving 9 billion gallons... One of the excuses, you know, you may have heard from fleets in the prior to this administration was, well, fuel's cheap. You know, we were down in the low twos for fuel. So for a lot of fleets, there's just not enough incentive there. The problem that they don't under, seem to understand is that never lasts and we never get much warning. Who would have predicted, well, we were predicting um, when, when Biden won the election that fuel was going up. I don't think I could have predicted where we are at $5 and 30 some cents a gallon. But what that means in dollars is we are wasting $48 billion a year in fuel as an industry. That is just wasteful. Um, one of the other statistics that I was a little shocked about, this came from Convoy's uh, research, uh, 33% of the miles we run in this industry are empty. 33%. A third of the time we're driving around empty. That is horribly inefficient because you're still burning all that fuel and we have nothing in return. So that's, um, that's my theme, how we can make some real improvements in those numbers. Uh, I'm going to jump into some calls. Uh, if I have to, I'll come back to some of this material, but I'd rather talk about uh, what's on your mind today. So pick up the phone and join us. Phone lines are open, 855-950-3835. We're going to head off to Reno to get started. Don, welcome to the program. Morning, Kevin. How are you? Good. What uh, We're looking at an oil sample today. Um are you a Green Bay Packers fan? 
<laughs> it works that way, don't it? <laughs> For the people who aren't looking at your oil sample, I see nothing but green and yellow. Um, so, which means we all of what we're looking at is is a one and two severity. So we're not looking at anything you know critical or severe. Uh, but we have a lot of numbers here. So first off, everything to the right of potassium, we can just ignore. Uh, all of those numbers, and, and I think you know this, all of the, those numbers are just oil additives. Everybody uses different packages. They change the additives all the time, and the lab just can't keep up with it. So they flag it if they don't think it's the normal amount of additive. Um, but just to let you know, a, an additive like Molly, um, yours is flagged, and I don't know whether they think it's low or high. Um, some oils have Molly in them, and some have none. It's one of those additives that some use and some don't, like the one next to it. Uh, some ad- some oils use titanium as an additive. Yours obviously uses none. The um, right. potassium is interesting because it's always been kind of high, but your sodium never has been high. I, I have to believe you run in some sort of an environment around a lot of chemicals. Not really, just... Pretty much uh, coast to coast, whatever. Interesting. Huh. I might have to do a little digging on that to see why that would continue to... Well, wait a minute. Um, Are all these samples on the same oil? That would explain it. No. Uh, We changed oil in... uh, Right around the end of last year. The last three samples. Okay. We got none our same oil. So here's the interesting thing. There was a pattern and potassium went from 36 to 74. Then you changed the oil, went down to 37, then up to 52 and up to 63. But your sodium is consistent across the board. I mean, not enough that this is definitely not a coolant leak. But I wonder what could cause that kind of a pattern with potassium. I may have to do a little digging. I'm not worried about it. I wouldn't worry about it if I were you. I wouldn't change the oil because of it. Um, let's look at some other things here. Are you running Catalyst? Of course. Okay, so that would explain the iron, but I, I am a little concerned about your upper cylinder wear. Um, part of, and I don't, I don't want to say it's a problem. It just makes... It makes me work a little harder when I'm looking at an oil sample using Catalyst because I have to try to guess how much of the iron could be coming from the Catalyst and how much could actually be wear metals. And then what I do is I look at the other upper cylinder metals. If they're very low, then I know that the Catalyst is almost all of the iron. If we have wear metals from the upper cylinder, then that iron could also be coming from those parts And that's kind of, uh, we have some chromium and tin. Those can both be upper cylinder. We've got um, aluminum starting to show up. That tends to be upper. No lead, and it looks like all the copper that you used to have was left over from uh, an oil cooler leaching. So how many miles are on this Engine, 164,000? Is Correct. that right? After an in-frame? Yes. 
or yeah, no, uh, new. new, new truck, new truck. Okay, you know what? I, um, I'm trying to decide if this is just break-in metal. It may be. Uh, let me look at the pattern here. On chromium, went from four to nine. That could have been break-in. Then we dropped to five when you changed the oil, six. and that That's just a break-in pattern. Remember, since that, that sample number four, we haven't changed the oil. So really, right. we had some leftover from that nine, which can happen, the, the initial break-in. Then since we haven't changed the oil, it can't go back down. We can't get rid of the wear metals. No. They're, they're too fine to filter out. So really, you don't really have any increase in chromium going on. Um, the aluminum did jump up a little bit. Tin really, uh, maybe a touch. Um, let's look at the other stuff going on. No fuel dilution, no soot to speak of. Viscosity actually went up a little bit, and that could be explained by the potassium. Oh, wait a minute. I wish the lab would start flagging silicon when it went above 10. Your silicon was at 10 last time. It's at 13 now. It was at 6 before right. that. Filter, so it's a steady increase. Filter was, filter was cleaned okay. and re-oiled since. The, since the last right, sample right in the middle there oh okay so yeah. we need to um we need to figure out where the dirt's coming from if if the filter's correct it's clean it's oiled we should see very low silicon with the fleet air filter and it's climbing went from six to ten to thirteen we're getting more dirt in each time we really need to inspect that intake system because that's enough that's enough um, dirt in there to cause that aluminum number, which is the one I'm most uh, most concerned about. And remember, aluminum is probably one of the softest metals we have inside the engine, so it can be the first one that right. gets attacked. And and that a lot of it has to do with engine design and some other things. So uh, I'm gonna say we've got to figure out that silicon problem, and everything else looks fine. I'm not worried too much about that oxidation. Um, is this thing running hot? No. No? Hmm. Do you have an oil temperature gauge in it? Can we check oil temperature? Uh, yes. Runs right around 212. Uh, that's actually pretty low for oil. Uh, hmm. You know what I would do? I, I would change this oil. We need to, okay. we need to kind of reset. So two things I would do, uh, the problems we're seeing are kind of a little all over the board and they're not enough to be too concerned about and they're not enough to try to figure out what's going on. So we know we have a dirt problem. You got to track that down. Uh, I would try to track it down before you change the oil so that we don't get new oil in and then immediately start putting dirt back into it. So I would try to track down that, that right. dirt issue. Then I would change the oil and then I would sample again at uh, 25,000. And let's take a look at this okay. and see if we can see a pattern then. Nothing in here I would worry about, especially with the new engine, uh, because a lot of times you just get weird stuff like this in the beginning. But um, 
it's time to track down the dirt and, and kind of hit the reset button and see what we can figure out. Sounds like a plan. All right. And uh, I'll look forward to the next sample. See what we can see what we can learn. Excellent. Appreciate it. Thank right. you very much. You're welcome. Thanks for the call today. Looks like uh, looks like we might be calling this oil sample Monday. We're starting off with two oil samples. Does anybody have anything they want to talk about? There's all kinds of stuff going on. Um, I stayed away from the news mostly over the weekend. Really enjoyed the uh, train ride. Did uh, Worked on the, the keynote. I haven't done a keynote in at least three years. I'm trying to f- remember if I did anything back in 2019 before the world went to hell. Uh, I don't know. May have been four years since I've done a keynote. So I started all over writing a, a brand new keynote, new theme, new material. So got a lot of that done on the train and uh, didn't do any real reading for business. I did a lot of reading for pleasure. I'm um, working my way through the Jack Reacher series, and I'm just loving it. Um, If we want to talk about books, we could talk about books today. Whatever you want, pick up the phone and join me, 855-950-3835. We're going to go to Portland. Daniel, welcome to the program. Hey, good morning, Kevin. Uh, What's on your mind today? Well, I, I sent in an oil sample for you to look at, if you would. Oh, you put some nice notes down there on the bottom for me, too. Thank you. Um, uh, it did not make it to the original document. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I keep asking them. I, I Look, I, I love the lab. They're accurate. They're They're really easy to work with. They have a lot of great programs that I've been through to learn more about uh, analyzing these samples. But their form sucks and they will not change it. And, and I get it. These, you know, when a company gets that big and um, it's not as simple as, you know, I'd like it to be, but I think their form could be greatly improved upon, but we'll figure it out. Let's take a look at what we've going on, got going on here. So 830,000 miles on the truck, 25,000 miles on the oil, conventional Rotella, and I am, um, is this your first sample or is there any history on this truck? Uh, it's the first sample on this truck. Okay. It's really clean looking. We have no fuel dilution and no soot. We look there first. That tells us how well the engine is tuned and performing. And I can't imagine it being much better. Have you done the overhead on this truck or do you know when it was done last? So we've had this truck since new. We do it. Uh, oh, okay. The, the manual calls out every five hundred thousand miles, and we do it either that or any time they open up the top end. Okay, you know this. Uh, this engine seems to. I, I, I'm not sure where they came up with five hundred thousand miles. Really, I can't imagine trying to get to a million miles with one overhead set because that's really what they're talking about. You buy the truck new, you do it at 500,000, yep. you're, you're pushing a million before with just one. So I'm glad you do it when it's open. Um, it doesn't need it now. 
I, I can't see anything here that would indicate. Um, we've been saying if it doesn't get opened up in 12 months, then open it up and do it. Just do it once a year. Um, right. right now, I wouldn't. This one looks fine. Uh, we don't have any dirt. We have no evidence of coolant at all. And your wear metals are all really low. Copper's at 31, but lead is at one. So I, I is your oil pressure pretty normal on this truck? No, it, it fluctuates a lot. I was thinking that it might be the oil pickup tubes in the pan. Yeah, might be. What, one of the reasons why we push oil samples so hard is we need history. There are certain things that we have to watch over time. One oil sample is valuable. 10 is invaluable. I mean, it, it's just, you know, that history. When you hear me, like this last call, I went back, you know, six samples and I was able to see patterns. One concern I could have looking at a truck like this, I, I'm, I'm not going to do it yet. I would say at least one more sample. Um, lead is at one, but copper's at 31. Uh, there is potential there that the lead's already gone off the bearing and we're just starting into the copper. It usually doesn't happen that way. There's usually a crossover. So you see lead climb first. And then before we get all the lead off the bearing, you start to see copper. So you see them both high at the same time. I, I'm not too worried, okay. but uh, 31 on copper is a weird number. It, when an oil cooler leaches, we usually see hundreds. I mean, it just goes from you know zero to 300 overnight. It can go up to 31. So... I, I, I'm kind of uh, kind of at a little disadvantage here with 830,000 miles on the engine, only one oil sample. So I, I would just say continue sampling now that you've started. Do it every 25,000, and we'll be able to pick up that, that bearing issue if there's anything there. Other than that, it's a really clean sample, nothing to worry about at all. No upper cylinder wear okay, really to worry about at all. Yeah, they just uh, we just changed the rocker shafts. Um, yeah, the arms. Okay. And uh, and then they when they had I had the oil change done right after that because they found some metal up in the rocker rocker housing. Um, so we had them change the oil and they put in some of that cheap trash, uh, you know, main shop oil they got out of their their barrels. I normally run a a, a Delvac in here. Okay. Yeah. I, I, you know, the, there's no reason to change whatever oil is in here right now. Whatever it is, is performing just fine. We're not seeing any problems from the oil itself. So no reason to change it. Everything about it is still good. I, I would just continue to sample at okay. 25,000. All right. Yeah. The only reason I was calling was basically I saw they, they flagged it for a level two for a, it looks like it was probably the base. Yeah, we don't ever worry about base anymore. Another place where the lab has just oh. got to catch up with these new oils. The new oils start with a lot less base because the new engines just don't need as much. These new engines, uh, now that we've really figured out the emissions, these new engines are burning so much cleaner that they just don't need a lot of base. And even when the base dropped, let me just check yours again. Um 
look at it real close. Yeah, I, we don't worry about base till we get down to about 2.5. You're at 3.1. Okay. Um, and we don't worry about base too much because even if you hit 2.5, we still have base and we can just add some. You know, you can put the lubrifier filters okay. on um, that add base, or you can get the base additive from Hotshot Secret. Just dump it in, and, and we're fine. So, nothing really to worry about on this truck. Just uh, just start a good sample program, and let's keep an eye on it. All right, Kevin, I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. All right, let's go to Missouri this time. Dale, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin, before I get into my comment, um, I've, I've heard so much talk about base over the years, and I've never asked anybody this, but exactly what is base? Uh, so have you ever experienced heartburn? I have. Okay. So heartburn is also referred to as acid reflux, right? Yep. So acid is very, very corrosive. Um, the only place we want acid that strong in our body is in our stomach, and it's actually strong enough to dissolve metal. That's how how corrosive acid can be. Even our stomach acid um, could could corrode and attack metal. So we don't want acid anywhere near the inside of our engine. So base is the same as Rolaids or Tums. It's basically some sort of base chemical, base meaning the opposite of acidic. So when you look at a pH scale... Oh, so it's an acid reducer. It's an acid reducer. When you look at a, a pH scale, the lower the pH, the more acid, the higher the pH, the more base. So we're really just putting in an acid neutralizer into the engine, just like you might put... I, I've even joked, it, we could crush up Tums or Rolades and put it in our oil and it would do the same thing. I don't recommend it, um, but but that's all we're really talking about. We're talking about neutralizing acid. Huh. Okay. I always kind of wondered about that, but um, um, you was talking earlier about on your open more about fuel economy and efficiencies in, in trucking, you know? Yeah. And uh, I worked for an LTL outfit you used to share a dock with years ago, three-letter truck line. Oh, yeah. Yep. But, uh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, right now, I run a line haul operation, which I'm sure you're real familiar with. Did it for but years the, uh, and years. I drive it in the day. Yeah, so I drive the truck in the day. There's another guy who drives it at night. He goes to Oklahoma out of southwest Missouri, and I go through the Ozark Hills up into St. Louis and back. But, uh this truck here right now, we're at uh, 7.73 miles per gallon over 93,926 miles. I'm sorry, say that again. I For some reason, I looked down at the numbers we're, I had here and I could just confuse the two. So start over on that. We're at this, this particular tractor we're driving is... Uh, uh, Freightliner Cascadia, but pulling doubles, we're at 7.73 over 93,927 miles even right now. Excellent. Um, well above the industry average, and we know that pulling doubles uh, is a 
10% penalty because that second gap, that second gap is, is a big issue. And I pulled doubles for years and years and I've tested this and, and that 10% number is just about right. Um, every once in a while um, at FedEx, I would pull a, you know, one of our, our line haul um, van trailers. We had some of them in the operation and you could see it immediately that that second gap um, with that converter dolly back there is just really dirty air. So it's about a 10% penalty. Uh, so really your truck would be well into the eights um, without that penalty. The other um, interesting yeah. thing that I learned, and it was counterintuitive to me, um, when I had the, uh, when I switched from uh, team runs to uh, single driver day runs, and I did that um, not to make more revenue because I made less revenue. I wasn't getting as many miles as when I had a team in the truck. But as I was getting busier and busier doing other things, just teams were just too hard to manage. You know, you're constantly dealing with driver issues and you lose one driver and now you got to find somebody that's compatible with the other driver. And Or, you know, you use husband and wife teams, but then when you lose them, you lose them both. So I, I, I switched to um, single driver day runs and thought, Oh, well, good. Now I can go buy a, a nice, small, single-axle day cab, and my fuel economy should go up even more. Unfortunately, it went down. Um, the problem with a day cab is the aerodynamics. It's actually worse. The, the cab is so short and so close to the trailer, it, we don't design our day cabs very well. You know, we, if we look at Europe and the, the cab overs and the way they design theirs and they're nice and tight. And um, so I actually found that the day cabs, it was much harder to get them set up right aerodynamically. Uh, so I went back to single axle really? sleepers. Yeah. Um, it was it, And the nice thing was drivers would much rather have the sleepers anyway because of the room, even if they never go back there and sleep, just having the room was better. When they were at their meeting point, if their other oh, driver longer. was late, they could go back there and lay down. And so, it, yeah, it turns out uh, I was completely wrong on that one. Um, so getting that kind of mileage is, um, is really pretty impressive. See, I, for the ride, I'd rather have the sleeper truck. But right. I got to tell you, I've been here December 1st. I'll finish up my 27th year and start on year 28. But... I've really become accustomed to them back windows when I'm hooking up a set. Oh, yeah. Back in a dolly. I know. I mean, when, when I ran over, drove over the road years ago, you always, you know, you're out the, looking out the window you're using your mirror. But, yeah, but I really like the back window for back in a, them dollies. You know, you know how fast they turn. You just got to you gotta keep an eye on them. Yeah, if, but, uh, um, when you're doing a lot of dropping and hooking, those little day cabs are awesome. Yeah. But they got the wheelbase of a pickup truck, so they don't ride very well. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Uh, you know, it's interesting we're talking about this right now because my first team run ever um, with FedEx uh, was when they opened the Orlando terminal. I had moved from um, the terminal in Akron that I was the only contractor in for years. Then I moved down to the hub in Jacksonville, um, because I wanted to get away from all the crazy taxes in Ohio and 
uh, the lousy weather in the wintertime and all the cost involved with that. So I moved down to Jacksonville. The day I got to Jacksonville, they announced they were building a terminal in Orlando. Um, so I immediately said, when it's open, I want to transfer. And, and ultimately, they ended up closing Jacksonville as a hub. They left it there as a terminal. So all the contractors had to move down to Orlando. So uh, it was good timing for me. But my very first uh, team run, uh, dedicated run that I got of, out of Orlando was to Memphis, which is where I am today. So we did uh, two and a half rounds a week. So I had a team that would do uh, a full round and then another full round. And then if they wanted to, they could do the half round. And what we would do is meet a truck coming out of Memphis on the weekend. Um, they could either do it as a team if they wanted, or we'd let one driver do it. So they could switch off if they wanted some weekend time off. But I had that, that Memphis team run for years. Yeah. The, uh, what we do to get rid of, to reduce the empty miles as much as we can is, and a lot of drivers in the LTLs, actually in any company, but I'll just speak to where I'm working at. They get really, really upset. The company will put in what we call in our industry a big box, which is, uh, just for lack of better terms, a JB Hunt, a night transportation, right. a right. generic over-the-road company. But I actually got to see how it works because I uh, we were short supervisors at the terminal I work in. So I sat in the supervisor's chair for about six months. And I was working with the line haul coordinator on this line haul run that goes from, it has many forks in it, but basically it goes from, from Boston all the way to El Paso. Okay. And, uh, what I got to, what I got to see when you get to look, you talk about, if you don't know your numbers, you totally don't understand the operation. What I got to see about this, this is a meet and turn and you understand meet and turns. It's a relay race. Somebody's passing the baton. And there has to be a, a baton to pass. So what happens, you get all these trucks, everybody's going back and forth and back and forth because everybody's a meet and turn home every day. If somebody has not enough freight to meet you with, then they got to drive empty to pick up your freight to take it back with them. And you got to take their empties and haul them back to keep the same amount of trucks going. So to balance that, they'll see, okay, from say Pittsburgh, we get all the way down through Springfield to Tulsa, and now we have an influx of freight. So then they'll enter like a night transportation. That set gets there, and they unload it and stick it on the night or whoever, yep. and then they run it all the way to El Paso. Yep. But and the truckload industry can't really afford to do that, I don't think. I don't see well, anywhere where they could afford to do that. One of, one of the things that, that I am looking at is maybe not doing it to the extent the LTL companies do, but I, I think as an industry, we could do better at that to get drivers home more often. Cause, cause that is a huge in, issue in our industry. It just is, we can't ignore it. Um, you get drivers home more often. You have far less driver turnover in my operation. I used to brag for oh, yeah. years. I had zero turnover. For years, I had a waiting list of drivers. I had drivers retire and then stick around and, and work part-time for me uh, or be, just be on a list that if I needed somebody to fill in last minute, I could call these guys. Um, the LTL industry doesn't have the turnover problem at all that we have in truckloads. So I, I think we could take 
you know, some pages out of the playbook from LTL and, and do a little more of relay kind of stuff. You know, you guys are obviously politically correct, calling them meat and turns. We called them buttheads. Right. Buttheads. Yeah. Yeah. We called them buttheads. <laughs> um, you know, I, I was just thinking about this. I, I, when I was growing up, my dad worked for LTL companies until they would go out of business, which was really common back then. They were all disappearing. Uh, and the last one he was at was Spectre. And at the time, Spectre was the fifth largest in the country, trucking companies in general. Uh, they were number five. And it was so sudden when they went out, he was on a, um, an Indianapolis bid run out of Richfield, Ohio. So he'd drive to Indy, lay over in a hotel, um, and come back, you know, after he laid over and he got to Indy one night and dispatch said, if you want to turn around and just go back empty, you can, because we just closed the doors. That's how much warning they had. You know, wow. when I was trying to remember though, I don't ever remember hearing any talk about meat and turns or buttheads back then. I'm wondering if they did them. I, I, I think I would have had to have known because I, I knew everywhere. My dad was on the extra board for years. So, you know, I, I would hear all the different terminals that he might run out to out of Richfield because they didn't go more than a day out. You know, in an operation like that, you either went out a day, laid over, came back, or you did a meet and turn and everybody got back. But I don't remember them doing those. I mean, if that were the case, that Indianapolis, he wouldn't have done it that way. That would have been a butthead. Um, that's the way we did it in the FedEx system. We never laid over a single driver anywhere. Well, it's, it's far more efficient to do a, a butthead or a meat and dirt because uh, I know the company overall will keep track of the equipment just via the, the numbers off the odometer, the you know, when it's due for service and what have you. But an individual terminal that keeps uh, the same drivers in the same trucks and exactly. makes people more accountable. Right, right. Everything just works better. Maintenance-wise, uh, longevity of the truck, they're cared for better. Well, and, but, and, and then you're not having a truck sit at Motel I, 6 for the night either. I, I was just going to say, uh, equipment utilization, you use that same tractor on two dispatches almost every day. That, that was... A, and I yeah. will tell you, the most profitable truck I have ever operated. Um, teams were more profitable than a single run just because of the additional miles you got. But the most profitable operation I ever had early on at FedEx, as they were growing, and they hadn't really solidified a lot of rules around dedicated runs and the extra board. It was just kind of handled locally at each, each terminal and hub. When I first got to Orlando... And the year I was in Jacksonville, I didn't have any dedicated runs out of Jacksonville. I ran um, all of my trucks, ran the extra board that whole year. When I got down to Orlando, they gave me the deal I had to make was when I left Akron and went to uh, Jacksonville. The deal I had to make was uh -huh. none, none of my time counted. It was like I was starting over as a new contractor in Jacksonville. And that was a tough decision to make because I had quite a bit of time. The good news was because they opened Orlando as a new hub, they said, you know what, we'll give you all your time back. Everybody starts new in Orlando, but 
you know, you'll get your time back and you'll bid based on that time. So I was immediately able to get, Oh wow. Yeah. I was immediately able to get dedicated runs as soon as Orlando opened, but the beauty of it early on was we were allowed to double utilize our tractors. If you had a day run, there was nothing to stop you from picking up an extra run at night. And we had so much work all the time back then that I was double utilizing my tractors and I never made so much money. I mean, that was just awesome to, to be able to get two uh, single dispatches every day. It just kept the truck running almost around the clock. Right. Well, that's like this tractor here. It's, uh, it's on two short runs, obviously. It, it, the St. Louis turns 400 and the Tulsa turn is 433. It's actually in Sepulpa, Oklahoma. Yeah. But uh, it's a 2019 and it's got 700 and 57,000 miles on it. Yeah. There, there was a time where I had uh, one of my trucks had out of the Orlando terminal had a uh, Richmond Hill, Richmond Hills in Georgia, right? Pretty sure. Yeah. That would make sense. It had a Richmond Hill butthead in the morning and that was 543 miles. You know, back then with the speed limits and, and the hours of service, that was pretty much pushing your that day. That was a big run. That was a big run. And then at night, it had a Miami um, nighttime run out of Orlando, which was like another 512 miles, I think, between those two terminals. And the other oh, wow. thing was we got paid for every mile we ran. Before they set up a run, they actually took and drove that run, documented the miles. We got paid for every mile we ran on those runs. So that truck was so profitable. That was, uh, those were the good days. Yeah, that's the way they do it here. They'll have the, uh, if they come up with a, a new line haul run that they want to do, they'll have the regional safety manager take his car and he'll drive from one terminal to the other. And sometimes they find out that uh, they'll say one leg it pays say two thirteen each leg, but sometimes they find that one leg weight pays two twelve and the other leg pays uh, <laughs> say two fourteen, right? Because the freeway's different on it, one side it, or the other, it, right? Yeah. But, they, uh, but we're getting we're starting to see turnover in the LTL industry. I mean, I don't. I'm not surprised. I, back in the day when yeah. I. Was, Back in the day when I drove over the road, a, a lot of the over-the-road drivers that I worked around, they they had a distaste for the what they called us in this industry, freight haulers. <laughs> and I uh, I got talking with a couple ABF drivers on lower channels one night, and I found out, I think, why, because they were making exactly twice as much as me. Yeah. And I was like, hell, I need to start pulling doubles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but the- I can't believe people. People just don't want to work, and but in this day and age, when you're you tell somebody here, here's you talk about the best gig in trucking is actually a UPS package feeder driver that they've always been the, right. the best paid. But right. besides that, you, you got you can you got hire somebody on. It's like okay, here's a job where you got uh, seventy four cents a mile. If you're doing anything that's not driving, we'll pay you by the hour, and that's yep. gonna pan out to about 56 cents a minute. Yep. If you're changing a light bulb, if you're putting fuel in, if you're adding oil or anything, washing your windows, running Wait. across the scale, which we have in the yard. Waiting it doesn't in tra- matter. Waiting in traffic, like an accident. 
Yeah. Uh, well, we got to give them an hour for traffic delays like that. But anyhow, and then you're home every day. Uh, when you're brand new, you'll have to pull an occasional Saturday. Other than that, and if you're in the city delivering and picking up freight, you not only get time after 8, you get it also after 40. And, yeah, we didn't have any of the overtime because it was all independent contractors. Um, I, I paid right. my drivers for all those things. I, I I was the same way. Give me an hour. You know, if there's a breakdown or, or the road shut down, give me the first hour. Uh, anything after that, I did pay. Uh, and And... You know, that was all over the board at FedEx because it's all independent contractors and everybody pays however they want. But I pretty much modeled my pay scale after the LTL companies because that's what we were doing. And um, I could afford to. There was enough profit. I could pay the drivers that well and pay all that. And the other thing was um, they were home every night. They never worked uh, weekends or they they always had two days off together. Um, a lot of our dispatches were, um, you'd be off Sunday and Monday. So a lot of, we did dispatch on Saturday a lot, but you had two days off together, which you call the weekend. And all holidays were often paid for my drivers. We didn't work on the holidays. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very, very rare that somebody works a holiday here, but you get yeah, your holiday were... play plus time and a half. So it's like, it's like double time and a half. If you do go in. yeah. None I... of the junior guys get those. Right. Right. Yeah. The, you know, the, the, the big difference in the trucking industry was um, LTL before and after deregulation didn't change much because it wasn't based on freight rates. The pay was based on union contracts. So they didn't really change. All yeah. that happened was deregulation just sped up what was already happening in the LTL industry, which was total consolidation. The little companies were all getting gobbled up by the big companies, and they just kept disappearing. Uh, But pay and and conditions for drivers didn't change much at all after deregulation in the LTL world. Uh, I tell you what, I uh, I went into, uh, from uh, OTR to LTL, and been here... uh, 27 years. I worked for a little bitty company you may or may not have ever heard of called uh, Next Day Motor Freight. No, I don't remember them. Where were they out of? um, They were based out of St. Louis. Huh. I don't remember them. But they they weren't a very big they weren't a very big company. But they uh, they paid really poorly, and their their benefits package all inclusively included the benefit of the doubt. That was it. No overtime. No (laughs) nothing. That wasn't, was that an LTL company? Oh, yeah. Boy, no wonder why they didn't make it. (laughs) The the competition for drivers in LTL, I mean, we just talked about why they never had any driver turnover. So to try to compete in that industry and and not pay your drivers that way was suicide. Well, and uh, I had to take that job to get this job and I knew that sometimes uh, you got to pay your yeah. dues oh, you know, yeah. you got to and you're you over the road uh, you don't know right. yeah yeah but uh I, do you remember the Enron scandal where after that the uh, government launched that deal oh, where they yeah. can uh, go in and yeah. request your books and hang you if need be yep as soon as that came out the company was closed in 30 days I'll bet yeah I think there was a reason yeah. they closed yeah yeah <laughs> You know, here was uh, here was my initiation into line haul because I, I was actually doing LTL work for a non-union carrier. It was um, 
Spartan Express, which was originally based out of South Carolina. Yeah, Roadway bought them. That's when all the big union LTL companies were looking around the country and buying these smaller non-union LTL companies and and making that transition over time. Uh, Spartan was one of them. They got bought by Roadway uh, and decided to use all independent contractors. So in the in the north, in the south, they were all company drivers. But when they moved into the north, they used all independent contractors, and that was my first uh, first place I contracted a truck. So I'm brand new. Um, I don't know how to drive all that well yet. I don't know how to do much of anything, uh, and I'm out, you know, doing 25 stops a day. You learn really quick. You learn a lot of things. You learn how to shift better. You learn how to drive the truck better. You learn how to back up in really tight spots all day long. So I love that intensive, you know, kind of training, but I wanted all the work I could get back then. I mean, I was young. I wanted to work as hard as I could. And I would tell them anything you have, if there are trailer spots in the morning, I'll come in and and spot two trailers before I go out on my, uh, my regular pedal every day. If you have something at the end of the day, I'll go do it. If somebody misses a pickup, I don't care where it is. I'll go get it. Um, so they knew I wanted to work. And the first Christmas that I was there, and I'd only been there, seems to me like I started in the beginning of October, I think, with them. So by Christmas, I, I'd only had about two months experience running around the city. Now, that was, my, that was the extent of my driving experience at the time. And I can remember they asked me on Christmas Eve, they said, hey, we have an extra set of doubles that have to go down to Cincinnati. We're in Richfield, so opposite corners of the state. They said, um, do you want to do it? There's no hurry because, you know, the, you got to get the trailers down there tonight, but no hurry coming back. Totally up to you. It should have been a layover, but I think they were kind of saying, you know, it's up to you if you want to turn around and come back, just do it, because uh, everybody did a lot of that stuff back then. And I immediately just said, right. sure, I'll take it. So I did my regular run, um, finished probably five or six o'clock in the evening, it's Christmas Eve, um, went home, took a nap, came back. Uh, the trailers, they said, will be loaded and ready to go. You got to pull out of the yard, you know, between midnight, one in the morning. So I went home, got some sleep. Came back. Nobody. It's obviously dead. There's nobody else anywhere around. And I go to get my bills, and I pull two sets of bills out of the box. And I'm like, hmm, two sets of bills. I wonder which one I'm supposed to take. And then it dawned on me, it's doubles. I've never hooked up doubles. I have no doubles. Yeah, I have no idea what the hell I'm doing. I've never been shown how to hook up doubles. Never, I had no clue. So needless to say, um, I didn't pull out anywhere near midnight by the time I got that all figured out. And we were in this old gravel lot with poles everywhere. And the, the docks were like backing oh, up. Will kill you. Oh, yeah. Backing uphill to the, to the docks. And uh, it was, uh, I could tell the story. It was like... Uh, a, a Laurel and Hardy routine, me trying to hook up doubles and then, you know, nervous as hell driving down the road with them. But uh, that's how I got my experience with doubles. 
I bet you that was a night where you hated your job. You're like, I, son I, of a... I, I, yeah, you know, I, I was <laughs> I was a little excited. You know, the whole thing, I'm driving all the way to Cincinnati, and, you know, it was kind of exciting for me because all of my experience that at that point was all in the city, but uh, it was pretty nerve-wracking, too. Yeah, I imagine. Well... Um, I guess that's all I got. I'll let you grab somebody else, but you have a good day and happy Halloween to you. Oh, all by right. the way, yeah. have, you, have you been to the Bass Pro down there? You know, I haven't. And if you would have asked that, I would have thought, why are you asking me about Bass Pro? Except we came right by it in the train this morning. And I looked over it. It looks like a giant pyramid, right? Yeah, it's actually a lot smaller than the one we have in Springfield. But I, I took my uh, stepdaughter down there few months ago and we stopped in there you got to pay like 10 or 15 bucks take the elevator to the top and they've got a really neat steampunk type artwork uh bar up top and you can eat up there but you can walk out on the observation deck and uh it, it was worth the trip up there but i will have to say the uh the blues hall of fame was a kind of disappointment it was about a third of the size as i thought it would have been okay but martin luther king um, well, I don't know if you want to call it a monument or an exhibit, but uh, now that was worth the money. Block out a bunch of time for that. Yeah, I, unfortunately, I have uh, no time really. I could make some, except when yeah, I haven't done a keynote in a long time. So I'm uh, not that I'm nervous about it. Well, I guess I am a little. Um, I just want to make sure I get it right. So. I still have to tweak. Um, I'll be tweaking tomorrow right up to lunch. The other thing about... You're working, not vacationing. Uh, yeah, I'm going to work through this. And then I have to get up to Nashville. And I really don't have any time to do any sightseeing in Nashville either because I'll probably tweak again after I give it once. I'll figure out all the things I, I could improve on. Um, the other challenge about the, the keynote. So we have four or five speakers in the morning. Um, and some of the topics get a little dry, you know, there's, um, they're going to be talking about like nuclear verdicts and, you know, a lot of legal issues. And so that, that gets pretty dry. That's a long morning listening to that stuff. Then we go lunch and the keynote is right after lunch. Worst time of the day to speak. Everybody's in a food coma. So you, you got to work pretty hard to keep them awake. So, um, I, I'm going to just hole up in my room the rest of the day and, and finish writing. And then um, what I do like about being the last speaker, I wish it wasn't right after lunch, but um, being the last speaker, I'll spend all morning in the room using material from the speakers during that day to, to try to tie it in so it makes right. the whole conference feel more cohesive. So um as much as right. I would like to spend some time sightseeing, it's just not going to happen on this trip. And then uh, Thursday morning, I have like a, uh, a 5 a.m. flight. So, or Friday morning, I mean. So Friday morning, I'm out of here really early. So all work, no play this time. Okay, doke. Well, you, uh, you have a good day. All right. Thanks we'll for the call. Let's roll through some more. Let's head off to Ohio. John, welcome to the program. Good morning, Kevin. Hey, I have uh, two two questions for you. Um, the first one is my truck is a 2020 Cascadia. I bought brand new three years ago, and I have 260,000 miles on it. 
And I've had to rebuild my fifth wheel or have my fifth wheel rebuilt twice. What? In 260,000 miles. So, John, let me... And let they're me, telling let, me it's because let, I... Let me ask you something. Um, you're not the world's worst driver, are you? I would hope not. I, I wouldn't think so. I, I don't even I've hardly never, ever... Re- I've never heard of such a thing. I've it, In all yeah, the, in well, they told all me the first, years... Every truck I've ever owned, all of those years, many of them with well past a million miles, I've never rebuilt a fifth wheel, ever. Yep, they just got done rebuilding it for the second time. Something's wrong. The first time it went in, the first time it went in, I think they just replaced some bushings. I'm not quite sure what what a whole rebuild is. Which fifth wheel was on that thing? Who makes it? Oh. I, I, I don't know. I, Here, I don't know. It's here's what I would do. Whatever Freightliner puts on. Here's what I would do. At this point, I, I wouldn't even try to figure out why they had to rebuild it twice. I would keep an eye on it. And if it's, start, uh, I'm assuming it, it gets too much play, or are you having some sort of a mechanical problem releasing, or or what happens to it? Well, I don't ever hardly unhook my trailer. I'm just a single owner operator with a dry van. So it just and gets too much play. the only time I unhook, the only time I unhook is when, you know, the truck's going in for service right, or a, right. the occasional shipper that requires you to. Is that a bad thing? No, no, there, that shouldn't. If anything, it's a good thing. I mean, the more we work a mechanism, the more you wear it out. If we're not dropping and hooking constant. Now, over time, every now and then, if you don't keep them lubed right, you don't work it once in a while, you might get some sticky mechanism. That's why I was wondering, is this a problem of releasing or hooking up, or is it just too much play when you are hooked up? It it doesn't seem to... Well, when it was making the, the creaky noise... There was play in it also. Like if I, when I stopped and went to take off of a light, well, let, let, let's go back a little shift. Okay. So that's the play, but let's go back. I, I've seen fifth wheels with a lot of play and people just keep driving them anyway. It makes me crazy when I have that, but I've seen people, you know, have significant amounts of play and just leave it. When we go back to the first time, who decided to rebuild the fifth wheel and why? Well, because it was doing the play, it had play in it, and I complained about it. Okay. And it was, and there was a creaking noise, and uh, they rebuilt the fifth wheel, and it went away. And then it lasted about a year, a year and a half, and started doing it again. So here's here's what I would do. Uh, I, I don't even think I would try to figure this out because I leave my trailer hooked no, it's up not. all the time. No, it's not. That's absolutely that's not thinking. true. I've had trucks with a million miles plus that stayed hooked up to their trailer, just like yours. You know, it was our trailer, our truck, um, didn't get disconnected very often at all. I've never had that happen because of that. That doesn't even make sense to me. But here's what I would do. If this one, you know, a year from now starts showing that same problem or any time, I just yank that fifth wheel off and go buy something else. I'd go buy a good fifth wheel and just start over. I wouldn't rebuild it again. Okay. Yeah, I, I mean, I lube, I lube the truck up myself. I have grease gun, and I go around and hit all the fittings and then put 
I, you know, I, Greece, there's a Greece sitting on my fifth wheel. and Yeah, and, and I, like I said, I don't know. there are a lot of people that do nothing to take care of their fifth wheel. It's one of those parts that gets overlooked a lot, and yet they still don't seem to fail or wear out all that often. Not my experience, anyway. Um, yeah, it, it, you have a new rebuild now. You should be fine for a while at least. Um, you should be fine for a million miles. Easy. But if for some reason it starts doing the same thing, I, I wouldn't rebuild it even if they offered to do it under warranty. I'd just yank it off, put a new fifth wheel on it. Okay. And what, whatever is on there, whatever model, I'd go to something else just to change. You know, I don't, I don't yeah, know okay. that any one fifth wheel is absolutely better than any other fifth wheel. Um, you know, in lightweight operations, we even see aluminum fifth wheels. But I, I would just go buy, you know, a good brand, whatever's available, um, other than what's already on there. But since this one was just rebuilt, I'd run it till something happens again. Maybe we got right. a, maybe we got a bad rebuild kit. Maybe somebody didn't put it together right. There's not, they're not that complicated really. Um, but to have two go wrong, it, once that happens, once we have a problem, then it reoccurs again that fast. It, at that point, don't keep doing the same thing. Let's do something different. So a new fifth wheel and a different brand. Okay, will do. And, and did it, you see... As um, far as fifth wheels go, it, it's one, like I said, it's one of those ignored parts. We have it on the truck. It works. We grease it. They last forever. I don't even know what's available. I don't even know who makes fifth wheels in the aftermarket that's available, but uh, shouldn't be hard to figure it out. Yeah, I don't have any any idea myself. So, I seen uh, a thing about on uh, Tucker Carlson. I don't know if you've all talked about this yet or not, um, but he was saying the other day that there's only 25 days or something worth of diesel fuel left in the country? It's the lowest our supply has been in decades. In fact, my next caller, it looks like that's what they want to talk about. Yeah, I, I started to mention it last week. Um, I mentioned it this morning on the open, or I wanted to when I was talking about, uh, you know, my whole theme is about being so much more efficient and not wasting 9 billion gallons of diesel fuel every year, which would probably help right now. That, that's scary. I, I can't believe that we are talking about these kinds of shortages, but that's what happens when an administration makes an all-out attack on the oil companies. And that's what this administration did from day one. Shut down pipelines, canceled leases, wouldn't sign new permits, put pressure on the banking industry not to finance projects in the oil industry. And then they stand around saying, we're doing everything, everything we can to bring down prices of fuel and gas. No, they're not. You're doing everything you can to make sure they go up. I mean, it, it, it's such an obvious lie. And not only are prices going up because of what they've done, we're now dealing with shortages. They are already rationing fuel oil in the Northeast. Do you think it's possible that we could actually it, completely run out to where I, trucks I, would not be moving on the no, road? No, um, I don't. But it doesn't have to get that bad for a lot of bad things to happen. It looks like the Southeast part of the country is where this is going to be the worst. And it has something to do with pipelines, but I'm not sure exactly. Um, 
I don't think we'll ever run out, but if we have to deal with shortages and you pull up into a truck stop somewhere and they say, sorry, we're not going to have fuel till tomorrow morning, that's the kind of stuff that'll happen. We're not just going to run out and every truck's going to sit, but it will be a huge disruption if we just have even regional or local outages and shortages that we have to deal with. Uh, my best advice to, to drivers is pay attention, watch the news, look for news on this. Don't just wait for it. Go look for news. Go do a search. Find out what parts of the country are being affected the most. Um, we can certainly share that on this show every day. If somebody knows where there's a shortage, let's, let's talk about it. Post it on uh, truckingtribe.com. Um, I, I think it could get ugly, but I, I can't imagine. Look, if, if we actually ran out, like everywhere in trucks had to park, we would have conditions that nobody could even imagine in about three days. I mean, we, we would, the, the entire would country anarchy. would be in total chaos and anarchy. You're right. Um, I, it, conditions most people can't even imagine if that were to happen. I, I don't think it will. But I think we're in for a pretty rough winter on diesel fuel in some parts of the country and fuel oil in the Northeast. So stock up. Don't let your tanks get below half right now. I wouldn't. Well, we we were just coming back from North Carolina. I was in my pickup truck pulling my fifth wheel camper back from North Carolina, back to Kentucky. And we stopped in Pioneer, Tennessee at a TA to get fuel, and they were out. That's All the, their pumps it, were closed. Yeah, that's what I mean. That's what's going to happen. And that's the southeast. That's where we're already starting to see it. So I'm really warning drivers, if it were me and I had any control over where I go, I would just stay out of the southeast for right now. Why even take the chance? Yeah, so you think the southeast is going to be the the hardest hit? That's what they're saying, and they, they said it had something to do with a pipeline issue. So remember, um, our, our fuel delivery system is pretty complicated around the country. Stump, some stuff moves strictly by tankers. Some stuff moved by pipelines. Remember when... Um, it seems like it was right at the very beginning of the Biden administration, if I remember right. Um, remember, we had that cyber attack on one of the oil companies and it, it shut down their pipeline. Right. And it was the southeast then that got hit the hardest because the, the pipeline they managed to, to cyber attack was somewhere in the southeast. I don't know why it happens to be the southeast again, uh, but maybe our, our supply chain is just a little weaker there. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's kind of frightening to me when I sat there oh, it is. about it after I've seen that Tucker Carlson thing. It is. Now, here's the uh, other thing I, I want to warn everybody about. I talk about this, you know, every winter, but we talk about it once in a while. Not just fuel, but being prepared with everything when you're in the truck thousands of miles away from home most of the time. Um you watch your fuel levels, watch what's going on in the news, try to stay away from the areas that have shortages. Don't let your fuel tanks get too low, but you should also have cash. There, There is a huge risk of uh, cyber attacks right now, and it, it's not out of the question that they can shut down the banking system in regional areas, just like they could shut down a pipeline 
And if they do that, your credit cards are worthless. I, I, I would not be traveling right now in a truck with anything less than about $2,000 in cash. And I would have food and I would have water and I would have, you know, clothes for the winter. And, and you know, I would be prepared for the worst right now because we're facing the worst. I don't, 35 years in the industry, this has never happened before. Yeah, I lost no. you for a second. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I would just uh, really encourage drivers to be very, very prepared in their truck. Yeah, maybe I have to put a little more money. I I got a thousand dollars in my truck, and maybe that's not enough. Thousands nice. It's certainly better than you know running around with ten or twenty bucks in cash and always depending on your credit and debit card. So a thousand's good, but uh, I think two thousand would probably be my minimum. I don't I don't stray too far from home anyway. I'm no, generally only four hundred miles from the house. Oh, then a thousand dollars probably enough yeah. for you, really. But you know. I, I I know when people hear some of these things, they think I've gone off the deep end, but let's say that you're in an area with fuel is already short and the banking system gets shut down. I try to think of worst case scenario. I, I'm going to be out looking for some farmer with a, an external diesel tank and offering him all kinds of cash just to fill me up so I can get home. Yeah. I think I'm going to still put some extra money in my truck. I think so. (laughs) Here's the thing. Um, Other than, you know, being robbed, um, there's no downside to having more than you need. Right. And I I mean, I definitely don't want to lose $2,000, but if I did lose $2,000, it wouldn't be the end of the world. it, and it, something it did happen to it, it. It would be horrible sitting someplace with no fuel and no money. Yeah, you're right. It would be. But yeah, that's I don't know. It's a scary thought to me. I, it is. I think about all. I think about all the bad stuff that could happen if we ran out of diesel fuel. So oh, we'll see what happens, oh so. yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, John, good talking to you. Thank you. uh, Yeah, get prepared, everybody. Let's go to Houston. Ray, welcome to the program. Hey, buddy. uh, uh, You guys just talked about what my question was. I can remember back in in the summer, the CEO of the pilots, they were talking about that this was coming. Yeah. And... uh, but you never know, you know, I, I don't I, I, last few months I've been reading about it, but I try to source the stuff as good as possible, but I trust your opinion more than I trust myself trying to look through the internet. Yeah, there, but. well, one of the things that I, I put very, very little faith in, I, I use it as, you know, a clue, but I, I, I'm not going to act on things that I only see in social media. Um, it, it's a right, shame. Right, right. It's a shame that we have to be, you know, we have to really dig to find reliable news these days because I don't trust what I read in the news unless I can verify it in several places. But uh, social media to me is just that first indicator. If I see people talking about some issue on social media, um, just know that at least half of that information is just going to be pure wrong. Um, But it's a clue. 
And then it kind of warns me, hey, I better go start digging and see if this is real. And this this diesel shortage is real. I mean, there, there's no doubt about it. Our supplies are lower than they've been in a very, very long time. And it, it's going to be tricky here for a while. Why is the current administration, my understanding is, our uh, reserves, it's really never supposed to be tested unless we're at war or critically low. So that's that's different. That's different than what the reserve we're talking about right now. So we have the strategic petroleum reserve, which means I I think we store crude. Um, It's I believe it's not refined. It's just barrels of oil that could be turned into gas or aviation fuel or diesel or whatever we might need from it. I I think that's how it works. Um, That stockpile is supposed to be there for true emergencies, you know, war being the big one. But the other time we use it and and i don't think anybody minds when it when it's been used in the past for natural disasters you know we get a couple hurricanes in the gulf and a couple refineries go offline for a while um pull out of the out of the strategic reserve short term fill it right back up but that's not what happened this time right um, they, the the administration this time at the cheapest correct yeah um the administration this time decided they were going to start releasing a million barrels a day um, to try to keep the price down at the pump, which is ignorant. That's like, that's like yeah. trying to say, well, um, I'm going to use my credit cards from now on um, so I can save money. Well, you're not saving yeah, any exactly. money to use your credit cards. You're spending more and you're putting yourself in debt. And that's what we did. We're spending more. And putting ourselves in a fuel debt, now the strategic reserve is the lowest it's been since 1980 or 81 or something way back when. And now when they talk about the diesel reserve being the lowest, that's not the same. We have two problems around fuel right now. And then there seems to be shortages of fuel oil, too, in the Northeast. And that's how they all heat their homes up there. So, you know, for for this administration, and I'm going to get political here because we need to. Um, The midterms are, what, eight days away, a week from tomorrow? Yeah. And all of these fuel problems, all of them, the price, the shortages, the danger they're putting us in, are a direct result of what Biden did on day one. And not even day one. It's what he did during the campaign. He told us he was going to do this. He stood there on the stage and said, I will eliminate the petroleum industry. He said it. And, and we should have believed him. And if the, the people who voted for the Democrats, Biden and all the rest, if this is what you wanted, they told you it was coming. They said, we will eliminate fossil fuels. And they shut down pipelines and they canceled leases. And for them to stand up now over the last year and keep saying, we're doing everything we can to bring down prices. No, you're doing nothing, nothing. And OPEC knew it. So when Biden went crawling on his knees to beg OPEC for more oil, they said, they laughed and said, screw you. You don't want to pump your own. We're not going to sell it to you. So here we are. We can just. 
we, we can change this next week. Said, uh, yeah, they just, uh, I believe it was, well, Saudi Arabia just came out and made that statement that, you know, it's, it should be embarrassing there, to our administration. It's, it is embarrassing. Talking about our dra- draining our strategic reserve is a horrible idea. When another country that's really not even an ally says that, that's just. It, it, it's embarrassing, it's dangerous, and the the rest of the world is laughing at us now for being so ignorant. Yeah. We can change that next I, Tuesday. I, I don't... And I hope we do. I'm definitely voting. Uh, I, I'm, not, I, I, I'm not a fan of Democrats or Republicans because they're all in it for power. Uh, but I'm, I'm not sure so, they'll ever get... I, I feel the same way. Um, I'm a, I've been a registered libertarian for years, but there's no way I'd vote for a libertarian candidate in this election unless I knew they had a really, really strong chance of winning. And uh, there are none really on my ticket yeah, that I yeah. could vote for. So at this point, I choose the lesser of two evils. And honestly, this time, as bad as both parties are, it's not even close, though. I, all of the problems that our country is facing right now, we did not have under the last administration. None of them. Exactly. Exactly. And and and, and I, I don't I don't have to like uh, I I look at it like this. Uh, I mean, I'm an owner operator now. I have been for eight years, but I, I worked uh, jobs before, and I don't have to like the person. And as a matter of fact. Most of the bosses that I learned the most from were just jerks, but they were smart, damn jerks. And if you listen to them, you learn. Yeah, yeah. We we I don't. We we've just got to reset everything at least back to where we were under the last administration. We could certainly improve from there, and there's a lot of things the Republicans do that I don't agree with, but. Getting back to where we were under the last administration would be a huge improvement in every area. So that's where we need to start. Exactly. And here's, you know, here's the, here's something else I want to keep reminding people of. I'm a little worried that the Republic Republicans are going to sweep both houses, the house and the Senate. I'm I'm a little worried about it because when they do, the population is going to have the expectation that they can fix things. They can't. And they won't. All they exactly. can do is slow down the damage that's being done. They can't fix anything because Biden still has to sign off on everything. And Biden still has executive powers. And he's done a lot with executive powers and and agencies like the EPA and the Department of Labor, he has bypassed his own Congress because they can't get anything passed. It's so bad. So I want people to remember that if you put the Republicans back in power in the House and Senate, the best they're going to be able to do is slow down the damage. We can't make any real changes till 2024. And what I don't want to see people do, the people who don't really follow this enough to understand it, I don't want them to put the Republicans back in power and then in 2024 go, well, we gave you a chance and nothing got better. It's not going to get better. We just have to stop it from getting worse. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's that's the whole point of us making the change. But the problem... 
problem I see is, is we've become more than half of this country has become soft. It's like they feel like you have to have someone like Biden in there. I, I don't need a nice freaking guy. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Nice guy. Uh, hold on. I don't know who ever started this idea that Biden is a nice guy. I don't know where that came from. Biden yeah, has been a bully his whole life. That's all he is, is a bully. Yeah, and bullies are weak. But that's what they say. Bullies are weak. But yeah, I don't know whoever came up with that. Oh, he's like a grandfather. He's a nice. My ass, he's a nice guy. He's been a bully his whole political career. I agree. But, you know, we had to, well, we're going to put the adults back in the room. Yeah. Okay. It, wait, that worked it, real it, well, didn't it? Well, hold on. Hold on. I know plenty of adults who don't have a lick of common sense. So just saying you're putting the adults in the room yeah. means nothing to me. <laughs> I, I know. I know. I'm just, I'm going by their talking how, how, points. Uh, no, I, I know. And I, yeah. And, and I like that because then I can counter those talking points. How about we put some intelligent, <laughs> competent people in the room? How does that sound? I don't care whether they're adults or teenagers. Let's just put some intelligent, competent people in the room. And I I don't care if occasionally you think they're an asshole. Correct. (laughs) Correct. I I don't. That's not a criteria for me. Exactly. (laughs) You know, what's that? What's the saying? You know, I sure could go for a mean tweet right now. (laughs) Yeah. A mean tweet and $2 (laughs) gas. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> My whole reason for voting for Trump was the exact reason I voted for Ross Perot. They're not politicians. Let's give well, here's, people that run businesses a chance. You know, if people aren't paying attention to their Senate races around the country, the Senate is really important. I think the, the, the House is going to turn over in a big way. Uh, to the Republicans. It always does. Right. right. The Senate is where every two places people should be focused right now. Um, your state Senate race and your governor. There are a lot of big governor races going on right now. Uh, but the Senate, and if you look at the close races in the Senate, almost every one of those Republican candidates is new. Carrie Lake, Blake Masters, um, what's the, uh, well, that's a governor race in Michigan. Um, What's her name? She's impressive. She came out of nowhere. Um, uh, We have the the Herschel Walker, uh, Warnock in Georgia. And when you look at that, all of the Democrats in those races are career politicians. All of the Republicans are new up and coming non-political people. I love that. We need more of that. Yeah, exactly. And and another candidate that comes up, and I and I'm going to say it, whether it's Democrat or Republican, if if they totally go against the the mainstream politics, that's the guy. That's who I'm voting for. Exactly. Oh, well, she's that, that, not you know, she's not a Democrat like, anymore. But I've always said I would have voted for her as a Democrat, Tulsi Gabbard. She's actually out. Um, exactly. She's actually out uh, campaigning for Republicans now. Not only did she leave the Democratic Party, she hasn't she hasn't said what her affiliation is going to be, whether she's going to be an independent. I think she's a libertarian. Uh, I think that's why I, I like her oh, so much. much. I, I really believe she's more of a libertarian than some of the libertarian candidates we've had in the past. But she's actually, she was just in Michigan. um, 
campaigning for the Republican governor. Now, why can't I think? She's got an unusual name. Um, nah, it's just not yeah, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but she's a tough gal, too. But, yeah, I, on the interview, she Tulsi Gabbard was on Joe Rogan, and she pretty much said that. Yeah. You know, yeah. She's more libertarian than anything. Yeah. Yeah, she is. And. And, and you can tell that this, I, I drove my, my, my family has been total liberals forever. And my sister, I drove her nuts during, when they were campaigning, uh, I said, if, if they would, if, you know, I knew they wouldn't choose Tulsi Gabbard, but if they did, I'd vote for her. And she's like, Oh my God. I said, what are you saying? She's a Democrat. Yeah, <laughs> but I'd vote exactly. For her. Right. But the, the Democrats don't like her. Because they scare she, any, she won't toe the line. Road, yeah, it scares them to death. She won't. Then they don't get their way. She won't toe the line. Um, what what an amazing right. background she has too. Military officer. I think she's still in the National Guard. Pretty sure she is. Um, totally anti-war. Exactly, which is uh, yeah. a libertarian position. We are not the world's police. We should not be fighting wars all over the world. We shouldn't be sending all this money and support to Ukraine with all the problems we have claiming it's to protect democracy when Ukraine has never been a democracy, not even close. Exactly. That's the whole point. And then and the problem with putting someone like we like we would value as a president it's going to be so hard for them to ever do anything because they buck the establishment. The establishment will attack them every time. Well, here's the thing. If we can see that there is a potential change available to us right now, like I said, almost all of the close Senate races are not politicians. So we, the more we got to do, we got to do everything. Yep. The more non-politicians we can put into offices, the better this is going to work. I agree 100%. And, and, and thank you for your- yeah, we, we can just go back, and I know this phrase drives people crazy, but Trump said it first we got to drain the swamp. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we saw what happened I, I, when, I just- uh, look, look, there are some clear patterns here. It, it, since, the, since the left, the progressives, what, what is their big push right now? What, what is really happening? What is their core agenda that's causing all these problems? It, it's the Green New Deal. It's the push away from fossil fuels to electric and sustainable and all that stuff. And I'm not against it. We just have to do it right. And they don't want to do no. it right. They're going to burn the whole system down. Um, that's the whole push. If that's the case... Shouldn't Elon Musk be their superhero? Nobody builds more electric vehicles, but now they hate him. You know, I I talk all the time about... he says... He tells the truth. He says exactly that, look, this this will come when the market is there and when the technology is there. You cannot force it. He should be their superhero, and when I scroll the headlines right now, they are attacking him from every possible angle they can think of. In fact, there are journalists who no, look like— now, since he took over Twitter. Right. There are journalists now who oh, are God. looking so ridiculous. 
ridiculous because they're trying to claim that, you know, Twitter is going to become a racial hotbed of hatred. Give me a break. Twitter's just going to go back to what it was in the very beginning and should have stayed a place where we get to share all ideas and there will be moderation but it will be even across the board. It will be moderation against true hate speech from both sides and will allow the good ideas from both sides. And unfortunately, somebody has to decide that. Um, Something as big as Twitter can't be just pure anarchy because we know the bad people win in those cases. I've dealt with it myself for years. Every website I've run, we had to make this decision. I tried to run a, a, a social media site with true, unlimited, no moderation whatsoever, and it it fell apart because the, the you can't do that because the, the people they will the people destroy that it. Argue will continue to they'll, argue. They'll destroy the, it. The people who who are sensible will just stop. They're like, but what? Stupid. But what went totally wrong with Twitter, and it was absolutely obvious was only one side was being silenced oh yeah when you when you can when you can delete a sitting president and leave the taliban's account something's wrong oh absolutely absolutely and that's what he's going to fix and that's why the left is going to freak out that's fine do what the right did when all of these problems started occurring we all went and created our own sites. We knew we needed something. You know, True Social started, all the other sites popped up, Parler, and, and we went and built our own sites. If you don't like what Elon Musk is going to do to Twitter, leave. Go build your own. Exactly. And um, that's, you know, it's, it's sad that uh, something that and, comes that big and then and, the, go- the government sees that. So they want to seize control of it. Nobody can call Elon Musk a conservative. Not even close. I don't even think you could put him in the libertarian camp. No, yeah, he's, I mean, he's definitely. He's kind of out there. He's different, yeah. Yeah, he's different, but I I think the one issue, and and here's the thing I was just about to say, the one issue I, I truly believe he believes in is the First Amendment. That was always a Democratic issue. The Democrats owned the First Amendment forever. What the hell happened to that? So really, we could really just claim that Elon Musk is probably just a pretty classic liberal. Yeah, I think most people that are um, just way, way smarter than me, uh, really intelligent people, they're just quirky. Well, you have to be. I mean, if you're that intelligent, there has to be some reason you're that intelligent. Your brain works a little differently than everybody else's. Exactly. Um, But, uh, you know, what? uh, no one else has accomplished what the man has accomplished. I mean, look look at how many. He's he's, he's got his hands in four major technologies that no one's ever touched just just that issue alone tells you everything we need to know about how far off track the democratic party has become they're they're the they will eat their own he's nothing but a classic liberal and now they hate him for being a classic liberal that's the problem with the democratic party has changed dramatically and that's pretty clear evidence of it ray i'm going to cut you loose i want to get some of these other calls let's go to texas eric welcome to the program 
Hey, Kevin. What's up? I'm mostly just calling because I had a I had a joke that I remembered uh, from a comedian a hold, long time ago, and I hold, wish I could remember hold on the a name. Second. But hold on a second. I'll let you okay. tell the joke, but I'm going to tell you up front. I won't use it. I I know what I'm okay. good at, well, and I know fine. what I'm, <laughs> I know what I'm good at, and I know what I'm not good at, and I'm not funny. I I don't ever use. You're not funny. I'm not. I'm just not a funny guy. Um, well, I. I, I and, and humor in presentations is really powerful. Look at somebody like Larry Winget. Um, his keynotes are almost comedy oh, yeah. routines there, but he's so good at that. For me, I have well, to go to also, the other. He's also a mean funny guy. He's very he, sarcastic. <laughs> but he, he pulls it off and, and people love it. And he's really good at sure. it. That's why he's in the Speakers yeah. Hall of Fame. Uh, he's very entertaining while getting, you know, important messages across. And that's a real talent, and he's really good at it. I know that I'm not, so I don't even try. I have to go to the <laughs> other extreme. I, I have to be, like, more dramatic even, like more intense and more dramatic because I'm not funny. Um, so uh, I'm, not, I'm not very entertaining on stage, um, so I try to get as much, you know, hard hitting information well, as I can. So no jokes for me, but you can tell it. Yeah, this isn't a, a classic style of joke, at least. Well, the first time I saw it, it, it tore me up because he, he comes out on stage and I think he had a, a cup of coffee, but he, co- he comes out, he steps up towards the mic, takes a sip of his coffee, and steps back, pulls a couple of packets of sugar out tears them, put them in, stirs it, takes another sip, eh, grabs a creamer out of his pocket, dumps it into the coffee, stirs it up, steps up to the mic, takes another sip, stands there looking at the crowd, and then says, what, when you go to work, do you start right away? That's a good one. You you know what he did right there? (laughs) Um, I don't remember which show it was last week, probably Thursday. Um, I think I talked about my open. Were you listening to that? I don't know. I've, I've been okay. trying to catch up, catch yeah. games so, shows lately. So, so hopefully, I, I'm assuming that the people that are coming to my presentation this week don't listen to the show. Um, I don't think they... Because the, um, it's been spoiled already. The, <laughs> the, the, uh, the guy who invited me um, does listen to the show, and if he's listening, that's okay. Um, but I don't. I don't think most of the attendees. It, it's a different crowd. It, it's more from uh, fleet and admin and some other things. But I, I kind of let the cat out of the bag. So I do something similar at my open, but it doesn't use humor. One of the biggest mistakes a lot of presenters make is they're they're open. Um, I spend more time on my open and close, which only account for about three minutes or less of the hour. But I spend more time on those three minutes than I do on the rest of the time in between. If you want to make an impression on people, you get them early to get their attention, especially when I'm the first speaker after lunch. You got to get their attention right away and you want to leave them with something powerful. And if you can pull off both... Then And you still have to have good information in the middle. But I've seen a lot of speakers with really good information in the middle, but they always blow the open and the close, and they're not nearly as effective. So 
the strategy I've kind of come up with on the open is very similar to what he did. His was funny. Mine is more dramatic, like I said. But we do this a similar thing. What I do is I walk up and I don't, I never stand at a lectern or stand at a microphone. You know, I always have a, a lav, a wireless headset, and I wander. In fact, I don't even want the lectern on the stage. I want tables, chairs, lecterns, get them all off the stage. I just want the stage. And you I usually jobs. I usually walk right up to the middle front edge of the stage when I first walk up and I just stand there and I start scanning around the room and smiling at people and kind of, you know, when some, when I make eye contact with somebody, I'll kind of nod my head a little bit and it only takes about 15 seconds of that and people get really uncomfortable, but it wakes them up and it gets their attention. And, and, and then I'll make some, kind of outrageous statement and then I'll go quiet again for another 10 seconds. And what it does is it just people are hyper focused on you at that moment. And that's what you want because I know I've got good information coming. I want your attention. And 99% of the speakers I watch walk up on stage, "Hi, I'm so and so. I do this, this that's all in the program. Everybody knows that already. They know who you are and yeah. That open almost puts people uh, to sleep, you know, because they they're going to tune out because they already know what you're trying to tell them right then. They're looking at it. They've been looking at it. It's in the program. And and you're absolutely right about the lunch thing, because not only have they just eaten, but they've also called home. They've been talking to their wives. You know, they're finding out their kids got in trouble at school the car broke down, blah, blah, blah. They're worried about other shit. And then, okay, we got to come back and sit down and listen to this guy. That's What's it, he doing again? He used to drive a truck. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's the worst time to speak. Or it's the most challenging time to speak at best. Sure. Now, what you're, I, you've never, maybe for probably on purpose, you, you've never said who it is you're talking in front of. Are they a trucking industry company? Oh, it's... Um, I mean, they're in the trucking industry? Uh, hold on one sec. Yeah, it's all trucking. Um, it is called the... I thought I... You know what? I probably haven't. Uh, it's called Refuel the Trucking Leadership Conference. So um, it, it's oh. mostly fleet-level hmm. stuff. Okay. They have an attorney. So you're, talking, you're going to be talking to like executives from, you know, trucking companies and whatnot. Yeah, mostly fleets. So some of the other speakers, we have a CEO um, from a company called Blue Wire, which is a big uh, tech company in the industry. Uh, we have Carrie Palmer, who's an attorney. We actually had her on the show with us. Uh, she was really good. She does a lot of uh, kind of nuclear verdict stuff, and she's big into the independent contractor issue. So I'm really excited about being able to, uh, a big part of mine is about the independent contractor, so I can play off all of her material. Um, we have the president of Triple G Express, who is also the uh, chairman of the ATA in 19 and 20. And we have Daniel Murray, who's uh, the senior vice president at Atri the American Transportation Research Institute. So um, really good lineup. Should be really interesting. Um, and a lot of their material. Yeah, I'm you know, really Atri, sorry, I'm missing that one. Atri is, you know, a, a 
all the statistics in the industry. They do all kinds of that research into what are the problems in the industry, what are the solutions. So Atri is a great organization. Uh, but this is stuff that we always went to Noel Perry for, though, right? Um, no, there actually there are no analysts. Noel would have fit in here really nice, um, but no analysts this oh. time. Uh, okay. It sounded when you were describing that, it sounded like what he does, but a uh, little you know, bit. I don't know little, the difference. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Noel focuses on pure numbers in the industry. What's going on with rates? What are the trends? What are the what's the financial strength of you know fleets at the moment? Or um, so there really isn't anybody in this lineup that's going to focus on those kind of numbers. So this is tomorrow. This is the, we're getting a recorded so, show tomorrow. Yeah. So the schedule for the show this week, I'm obviously live today. Uh, tomorrow is a recording yeah. and it's not the power hour. Um, it's a show I recorded oh, right. last That's week. Right. Wednesday, I will be live for destination health and I have a guest. Um, Thursday and Friday are both recorded shows, but it's all new content. Nobody's heard it before. Okay. And I haven't, I, I haven't been searching the app, but do we have, do you have the pit anywhere? I mean, are, have you, have you done a recorded version of the pit yet? Or I, not? I did. I, I haven't think, caught it. If you have, I think tomorrow oh. might be the pit. I think that's the recording we're playing. And it oh, was okay. the, the episode is with Noel, by the way, since you just mentioned him. Oh, I did a, yeah, I did a recording the, oh, last week, pit, but with Noel. <laughs> yeah. And, I I thought it was going to be more political than what it turned out to be. When we we don't script these shows, I hell I don't even talk to my guest ahead of time. No. Um, so it was <laughs> I I thought it was going to be very political, but Noel and I just started talking about stuff and and we touched on some politics, but almost and he wanted to. Noel's a very political guy and. He's got great opinions on a lot of things, but it seemed like every time we started down that path, we got sidetracked and came back to more trucking kind of issues. So um, I think that's what's playing tomorrow. Uh, Aaron uh, said something yes, that's I've correct. You, something I've always thought you should think about trying is bringing in somebody non-standard for the pit. I mean, I know you were trying to work it out with the cardio miracle guys because they've got that, you know, they're in that hardcore, but I, I thought sometimes you should try to work it out to bring in, you know, to talk to um, Bruce Mallinson because boy, does he have political opinions that he could talk with you about, you know, things like that. You know, I mean, we, just we bringing may do in that. somebody. I mean, there's even, yeah. I thought you should try to get a hold of, you should try to get a hold of Dr. Barry again, but, for political talk, you know, because everybody talks to him about the nutrition side, but nobody talks to him about, but he brings it up sometimes, the you, political stuff that goes on. You know who we've had on the show before, we've never talked politics, and who has an awesome um, background in politics and a lot of opinions about it is Joel Salatin. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, You, if you want to get an idea, he's got a book... Uh, I hope I don't butcher this title. Um, I think it's, I think the title is This Ain't Normal, Folks. Uh, I think that book was pretty political. He, he's got some, uh, some a really good take on a lot of politics. Maybe we'll get him on for a sh You know, really, the, um, what's going on with the pit now is I just have to I've find more time. 
Yeah, I just need to find more time to, uh, well, to put some good sure. shows together for Folks, that. This ain't normal. That's the name of that book. Yeah. Um, Folks, this ain't normal. Oh, yeah, and actually, his introduction in that I think brings it brings it up a lot. Yeah, but you're right. You're right about that. He would be a good one to bring out. Oh, geez, I, it, it's a mental connection for me. But Joel Salatin leads me to uh, Chef Pete Evans, yeah. the one who uh, did yeah. the uh, magic pill. I could see he'd that. be a good one to talk to, and he does yeah. podcasts. So, you know, you could probably get him on your list. But, yeah, I think so. There's, there's uh, a, there's, but like you say, you've only got so much time. <laughs> that's, that's the biggest holdup so far. And, um, I just need to clear some things out of my schedule and, um, I'm looking forward to it. I want to do more of that. I, I think, uh, Jack Wolfson would be excellent on a political podcast. I'll bet he would. Yeah. But like, you know, you see that's, that's kind of thinking I was doing is it's like, we, we bring in these people and then we have to talk about certain things because like they're on destination hell. Right. So we're talking about, you know, right. or they're just releasing a new book. So we're talking about their book, well, but it's like some of these people, you know, you could go way off on political tangents. So bring them in for the political show where it's not a tangent. Well, we're, <laughs> we're, we're going to bring Noel back again because he, he was really excited about doing politics when we normally just do finance and that kind of thing. And, and like I said, it, 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 we just, couldn't kind of get the traction on it because him and I haven't talked in a while and he hasn't been on the show in a while. And we, we just kept coming back to trucking topics, but he was, uh, he was kind of excited about the the thought of doing politics. So we'll get him back. Is he his own business or was he part of the truck stop? And when you lost him, you lost him. So his partnerships, um, are more like mine. So I had a partnership with truck stop. I didn't work for them. You know, I have a partnership with Garmin. I don't right. work with them. Hell, I had a partnership with Sirius XM. I didn't work for them. Um, that was a contract. Right. So Noel has always been an independent analyst, but he has partnered okay. with several other entities and, and truck stop is kind of that same way. So no, um, when I lost truck stop, that didn't have any impact uh, on our partnership with Noel. Okay. I just thought because, and, you know, and, a bunch um, of people did kind of disappear all at the this, same time. So. The, uh, the, last, um, the last thing I have this week while I'm in Tennessee, Thursday night, I fly out early Friday morning. Uh, Thursday night, I'm having dinner with Brent Hutto from truck stop. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Is it, but it's just a personal thing, though, right? Um, you guys, uh, yeah. Well, because for now, he yeah. can't speak for a truck stop. When um, it comes to, okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's there's things going on. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's things going on. I don't. I don't know. One other joke, and I, not to tell, but just because you mentioned Elon Musk earlier, and I was, I saw this somewhere. It was probably a meme. I haven't been on Facebook for a year and a half now, but it's something like that. But uh, Elon Musk is the first man in history to have invented a uh, car that runs on coal. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one, um, which is the absolute truth. You know, the, the funniest humor usually nope. has a lot of truth to it, and that's the case here. Yeah, it, that, that is yeah. all the electric cars are really coal-powered. 
basically. Okay. Anyway, that's all I had. All right. That's all I've got. You know, I just heard a weird tone in my headset. Something changed in my audio setup, and I, I am aware of it. I know that you hear um, dings and tones from my laptop, and I haven't figured out how to fix that yet. Something updated. Um, that never used to happen. I used to be able to turn it off, and now I can't for some reason. So I got to Maybe I'll take some of the time I have today and dig into that because it's kind of annoying. Um, like, there it goes again. Um, so, but I heard uh, that's a that's a tone that I've got a message coming through, but I just heard another tone that was odd, and I have no idea what it was. I should probably figure it out. Uh, my batteries aren't dying. All my audio looks good. So I guess I'm safe. We'll go to the phones. Sarah in Michigan, welcome. I was wondering if you could clear something up for me. I'm a little confused. I don't remember civics class. It's been a couple decades. Um, you said it would be, we can change everything with the vote on next Tuesday, but then you said it won't do any good if the, if the Republicans take over and put bills through because the president has to sign them. What? What in the balance of powers would, if anything, would allow Congress and Senate to bypass a president who is just gone off the rails like this one? Uh, well, they can impeach him or attempt to if they can come up with uh, uh, an impeachable offense or – or even if they can't come up with an impeachable defense, they can do what the Democrats did to Trump, just keep attempting to impeach him anyway, which kind of ties everything up. So let me clarify, because you're right, I, I, that was probably very confusing the way I presented that. Um, we can change something. We can stop the momentum uh, of what's happened in the last two years, because every trend that's happening is heading in the wrong direction. The The border crossings go up every month. The crime gets worse every month. Inflation either gets worse or, or isn't getting any better. Everything is trending in the wrong direction. And by taking control of the House and the Senate, we can at least stop the bleeding um, or at least slow down the bleeding. Some of these things are going to carry over anyway because they're already in place. But we can slow down the bleeding and we can set the stage for 2024 when we could get, a, a, you know, a, a Republican president in. Um, I'd love to say libertarian, but there's no chance of that. So we could get a Republican president, hold the House and Senate, then they can actually start turning things around and repairing the damage. Um, there's not much that Congress can do proactively. They, they can stop things, but they can't really start much without the president. And we do still have to be concerned about the president signing executive orders and using agencies to do things, the EPA. And, but, but at that point, the, when you hold Congress, you can at least open investigations and you can kind of, you know, gum up the gears and at least kind of get Washington in a gridlock, which is what we, it's the best we could hope for right now. 
So there's nothing that even if everything turned over to all new people completely, there's nothing that we could do to turn back on our production shy of convincing the president that that would be the best thing to do. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're really, it can't really change laws and that's what Congress does. Congress passes laws, but the president has to sign them. So they, they can use Mm -hmm. their judicial powers they, but but all that does is stop things or slow them down or, like I said, kind of gum up the works. They can tie them up in, in hearings and, you know, we can go – they can actually open true investigations into Hunter Biden, which should have happened a long time ago. Um, so they can – like I said, they can kind of use their judicial powers and um, with investigations and, and things like that. But other than that, they can't really do anything all that positive. I guess the founding fathers didn't really foresee a, a time when the president would use executive powers to do such things like cripple the country's energy. They didn't really have that back then. It, yeah, it was a much okay, simpler then. time. You're right. The the and there's nothing. I'm not against executive powers because they you. It, the problem is, and, and we could lay this on all presidents. They all did it. Um, some do it to, to a right. greater extent than others. I, I don't mind when they do it, except when they do it in ways that seem very damaging to the country. It, it, it was meant as emergency powers. Um, it was meant to be able to act quickly in an emergency and then say, if, if something needs to change to fix this, then we can change it now so things don't get worse and then let Congress decide this. But what's happened, we've become so politically divided that almost every president now uses executive orders the way you would pass a law and they don't want them to go away and they don't give it to Congress to really decide. They just start signing executive orders and, and Biden's done an awful lot of it and he'll continue to. Yeah. And then a second question, is there any way that we can get term limits for Congress and Senate aside from them voting it into law because they'll never do it? No, that's, 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 well, there is a way it's difficult, but, and it really isn't other than, you know, the only way we can get term limits is, is Congress has to make a law. The only way we're going to do that is put people in Congress who are willing to say, you know, I'll have my power and I'll be able to make a difference for a term or two. And then I go back to real life and, and somebody else steps in. We're going to have to get the career politicians out. That's why I'm so excited about this new crop of Republican Senate candidates. None of them are politicians. Mm-hmm. Now, many, many times people go to Washington with good intentions and then the whole system corrupts them or, or they get beaten down because, you know, you can't fight the machine. I, we, we have to drain the swamp. We have to get rid of enough of them and put enough people in with, with real moral character that would pass something like term limits. Cause I, I, I'm a believer in term limits as well. You know, um, 
Biden is not out campaigning for anybody because nobody wants him to. He's, uh, you know, he's the kiss I just of... Had, I just had a thought. Hey, okay, go ahead. I'll try not to forget my thought. Go ahead. Who put the term limits on the president? Wasn't it Congress? So wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be turnabout is fair play if the, if the president, <laughs> whoever they were, yeah. made an executive order putting term limits on them? That would be a good use of executive order. <laughs> uh, I understand what you're saying and where we are today. I, I could probably agree, except in the big picture, I don't want one person to have that kind of power. Right. As much as I would like to see it I now, mean, I have to say I, I wouldn't want um, one person to have that kind of power. Um, here's here's the point I was about to make. Biden's not out campaigning for anybody because he's the kiss of death right now. Nobody wants him. Um, Fetterman is too incoherent to know any better. Fetterman was about the only one that had him come and campaign. Uh, but Barack Obama was very right. busy this weekend. And... So they, they had to bring, you know, Barack Obama out of the, the sidelines and off the bench to campaign. That's how desperate they are right now. But he made a statement that I, I wish more people would understand this statement because he is a very charismatic guy. The people that like him love him. Um, they'll hang on every word he says. That's why they brought him out because he can make a difference. But he was talking about the race in Georgia. Uh, Raphael Warnock, who is a career politician, and Herschel Walker, who's a football player. And he made the statement, Barack Obama did, and, and he's a smart guy. He didn't come out and attack Herschel Walker as a, as a human being. He actually came out and praised him because Barack Obama's a smart guy. He, he said, Herschel Walker is one of the greatest running backs of all time. He, he went on with several compliments, and he, but then he said, that does nothing to qualify him as a politician. And then he even doubled down on it and said, just because he's so great at football, you wouldn't let him perform surgery on you, would you? And people will eat that up. That is so anti-American. Remember our government by the people, of the people, and for the people. We're not supposed to have career politicians. Every single one of us is qualified to be a politician. That statement to me is outrageous, and I didn't hear anybody, any pushback on it. We're not supposed to have career We're not politicians. About We're talking about Correct, right. And, and our government was set up to be run by the people. Brain surgery was not designed to be done by somebody who doesn't know how to do it. We're all qualified to be politicians. And I wish I would have saw somebody push back on that more. Wow. You're right. And I, I heard commercials for by Barack Obama for the guy in uh, Pennsylvania. Oh. And unlike when he was president and very charismatic about like Obamacare things he cared about, the commercials just sounded dry and Flat. no effort or there. life behind his voice. You are absolutely right. He does not believe what he is saying right then. And it is obvious. Which is just even sadder. We, it is. we can hear that he doesn't believe it. And it's, so it's just a waste of his time. Right. And, you know, you could expect or, or um, 
you could respect Obama for his intelligence. He's an intelligent guy, really intelligent yes. guy. Absolutely. And I can respect him when he's passionate about what he believes in and fights for, even if I completely disagree with it. I, can, I still respect right. him. I lose all respect when I see what he's doing now, because what you just said is, is spot on. He does not believe this. It's an absolute lie. It's a sham, and you can see it. And at that point, I've lost all respect for him. Yeah. Well, enjoy your travels and your speaking. All right. Thank you. Thanks. Let's, uh, <laughs> oh, my God, all the, all the noise. Um, how, what can I close here that might help this? Every everything that's going off on my phone and my laptop for some reason. Oh, you know what? I can at least stop the phone. Should have thought of that. Okay. That'll stop the phone. But I got to figure out what, what, something went wrong on my audio board. Normally I can, I can block this in my audio board. And for some reason, some update changed something. And I got to go figure it out. Uh, we're going to go to some calls. We're going to go... Let's go talk to Don. Don, welcome to the program. Hey, good afternoon, Kevin. It's uh, good to talk to you. Just checking in. You asked me to call you back in a week, and it's been about three. Okay. Uh, but I wanted to just touch base with you. Still still excited about uh, going forward and, and uh, pulling the trigger on owner off in about uh, six months, as you recommended. We're, we're looking at that April date of 2023 with with a lot of expectation and, and uh, excitement about the future on the last. And, and I just got to say again, how much I'm I so much more like your format that, I mean, it's, it, there's, it's just daylight and dark to, to be able not to go on XM radio and try to catch re Rutherford at night with your phone recorder in your hand to record what your comments were or your guidance was on the, on the second broadcast, but to go right to the archive and say, and even my wife said, Hey, I re-listened to that call last, last night that you had with Kevin on, on the program. So, uh, she, you know, she's, she's on board with me a hundred percent as well. So I, just to refresh you, you know, my wife and I have been teaming for 22 months and you re- recommended we hold off for about another six months and gave us some, sure. some clear guidance on some things. And so we, we, uh, we, we went home. I've now got the course with me here on the truck. I was able to uh, move the CDs on my laptop into my iPhone through the iTunes so I can listen to everything. And she can Excellent. keep my phone up front when I go to bed yeah. and listen to everything as well. And, uh, and then when we get, get to our 34 this coming weekend, hopefully we can really devour the workbook again. We've done it once, but oh, you good. recommended we good. do it again. Yep. Even, yep. even Kevin, that day that I spoke with you, you know, it's, it, you know, I said, wow, the callers are just, I'm learning a lot. Listen to the callers. And, uh, one of your callers who's, who's, um, in the tribe, he, he, uh, and, and I, and I learned, I've, I've heard you mention the tribe before, but actually talking to this caller has been helpful to me. He actually contacted your call screener and said, Hey, this is such and such, and I would be interested in mentoring him. Would you provide me with, uh, or would you send my cell phone number to him? And, and and it was one of your good callers. He's in the tribe. He's a Landstar guy, which is where I want to be going to is Landstar. Excellent. You know, I, I, I have to say we have the best tribe. You know, that that's how we refer to them, and, and I am just blown away by 
how much they're willing to share their experience and work with people who are are looking for help. And uh, it's just an incredible thing. So um, I'm not surprised that somebody reached out to you and uh, I'm glad that they did. So yeah, the um, so I want to give you a little teaser here. Tomorrow's show is a recorded show with Noel, and there's something in that show. I'm not going to tell you what it is. I'm not even going to give you a hint. There's something in that show that you want to hear. Okay, I just heard you saying about Noel, and I'm. And the name's familiar. I, I remember hearing from her before, but but uh, uh, I'll definitely dial in that. Yeah, believe it or not, it's a him, Noel. And and oh, okay. His okay. his name is spelled like Noel. You know, like a a guy would print, but his is specifically Noel. And and he, I've heard the story. He's a he's an excellent speaker. I met him out at events like this because he speaks a lot. In fact. Um, last week when we did the recording, he was at the, I think it was the ATA conference out in San Diego. Um, so yeah, Noel is a financial analyst, uh, Harvard trained, really, really down to earth guy though. Um, understands the trucking industry inside and out. Um, not just the financial issues, but really everything about trucking. Uh, and just a great guy. He, he, um, we actually had a podcast with Noel for a while and he got busy with a lot of other things. And then we got the, the new time slot at, at um, Sirius. We had to drop our podcast. So um, it, it, he's still working. And I think he said during the recording, Noel's 75 now. Uh, so we're going to continue to get him back as a guest um, more often again while he's while he's still doing this and I don't think he has any plans to retire. So, uh, but tomorrow's show there is, there's at least one piece of information in there. That's going to be of interest to you. Okay. Okay. I, I will definitely tune in the, uh, uh, you know, I, I told you when I talked with you last time about what, a how, how I felt comparable to my, my friend that runs the Atlanta, auto shop to I feel like I had kind of the same connection with Bruce and, and his people after listening to him for the last two or three years on your program every week. And like, these guys are straight shooters. They just, they, they, they don't get on that radio program and speak to an audience unless there's integrity and, and, and quality that they stand behind with them. And, and I've even heard people say, and he said, get the, get the, get the vehicle back by the shop. Um, but having this conversation with this mentor, He's, you know, oh, in the in the tribe that what you were just saying about so helpful. He said you'll learn where, I, and he, he immediately he said like off the top of my head the best. I think he said the best the best alignment shop, and and uh, is in Kansas City. And he said it's they're connected to Mike Beckett's team, but they'll take a look and they look under there and if if, if an, they will they will not perform an alignment on your on your vehicle. They'll send you next door or to a place that's real close there to say, get this so, fixed first so that what we do on your vehicle won't be a miss. Yeah. And so like, wow. let, let me, let me give everybody the details because, um, technically it's two shops there. They work in the same building and they work very close together, but, uh, they're both companies and, and people we've partnered with for a lot of years. Um, T and E tire service, but they also do full service, 
um, truck work. Virtually anything you want done on the truck, T&E will do. Um, a little light on engine work. I mean, they can do a lot, not to the extent like a Pittsburgh Power would be able to do, but a great all-around shop for virtually everything on the truck. Uh, so that's T&E Tire. Um, and then Alignment Solutions, which is run and owned by Chad Hone. Uh, Chad train started training with Mike way, way back when, when he was really young. Um, so got awesome training with Mike and, uh, Chad's from Kansas city. So he's not that far from Mike. So we spent a lot of time with him over the years. Chad, um, not only is he just an awesome alignment guy when it comes to the alignment side of things, but I have found very, very few, really small businesses like that, that understand customer service the way Chad does. Chad's customer service is top notch. Everybody loves Chad. You have to, he's just that good. Uh, so he's there at Kansas city. Um, when we used to do our, our yearly conference, the CMC, um, the whole week we were there, um, both T and E. Now there was a time when we did the, um, and this is how we found T&E originally. We did the, the CMC in Kansas City. And we went out looking for a good shop since we knew we were going to be there all week. And we found T&E. Uh, we already knew Chad. Um, those two ended up getting together as part of that whole thing. But when we moved the CMC up to Council Bluffs from Kansas City, um, T&E would basically, and Chad, both, they would basically shut down the shop for the week. They'd come up to, to Council Bluffs with us and work up there all week. I mean, that's how dedicated they are to our tribe. Yeah. Well, and, well, and that, that mentor that I now have from the tribe, he, he, he told me about them CMC, CMCs. Yeah. He said, the stuff you learn in a week of time out there from these people that know these different tricks, it's it just unbelievable at what kind of stuff you pick up at those events. So he's got, he's, he's definitely piqued my interest. You know, when we talked last, you said, so cultivate that relationship with Joel about looking for potentially a Volvo. And, you know, you said, make sure and look, be looking in the direction of one that does turbo compounding. And, yep. and so I sent Joel something in messenger saying, Hey, this was what happened on Kevin's show yesterday. And, 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 and I didn't, I, I heard, he said, I'll get back with you soon. I said, Hey, I'm not looking for, for a free ride here or anything, but I, I'm really excited that you turn, turn in, in the direction of a consult. Well, then I was listening to your, your show. Uh, I didn't hear back from him for a few days, and I tuned in, not Friday, two days ago, three days ago, but the Friday before when you had Joel in the in the um, the Jaguar, not the Jaguar, the, the Ferrari, yeah, John, an engineer guy, yeah, right. And so while I'm while I'm listening, I stopped for a break and I and I. And I sent Joel a message in Messenger, and immediately he spoke to it on the radio and listed all these great shops that are good Volvo uh, resources around the country that he he put you know a lot of money on being fantastic shops. So I was literally able to to go back and listen to that one later that night and get all my notes on it with web uh, email addresses, people's names, uh, phone numbers. It was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. You know, you you started off this conversation kind of by talking about, you know, how much you enjoy the new format. And I couldn't agree more. There have been several advantages. Um, one for the listeners, like you said, we control our own app. 
You can listen to our shows anytime. They're never going to go away. They'll always be there. Uh, that's a big advantage. A big plus for me, the new format is is no commercials because we talk about, you know, sometimes really big picture things. We talk about very technical things. And to me, the commercials were just an interruption of the flow. And it's hard to get back to that same spot. It's almost impossible. So those constant commercials mm-hmm. drove me crazy because I felt like I wasn't finishing points that I wanted to make. And I know our guest had hard time picking back up. So that was a, that's a huge change for me, not no commercials and no breaks. Cause I think we're able to help people understand things better without all of the interruptions. Um, but another advantage, and it, it's not because I couldn't have done this on serious. They, they did give me almost total free reign of what I did on my show. I I did find the limit, obviously, because, you know, I I went too far and they got rid of me. But other than that, they gave me pretty much free reign. I could have had all of these same guests, and I did somewhat, but we're, we're now strengthening all of those relationships with all of the, the, the co-hosts. They're not even guests anymore. John and Joel are co-hosts, Pittsburgh Power, Mike Beckett. Um, these guys are co-hosts. They're, they'll, they'll be running their own shows here soon. That way, I'll be able wow. to free. Wait, here's the thing. Um, when you've got Pittsburgh Power on with Bruce and Pete and Ethan, I, I don't add mm-hmm. much to that show. I mean, not technically. I mean, every now and then, maybe an oil sample where, but Pete is really good at oil samples. So is Bruce. So I, I don't, I don't really add anything. If I'm not on that show, it's not like there's going to be a big piece missing. So uh, we're they'll be doing their own show. I'll join them once in a while because I still enjoy it. But that will free me up to go do more of what I like to do. Maybe more episodes of the pit, or maybe new stuff. Go explore new shows, and the same with um, John and Joel. <laughs> Those two mm-hmm. could do that show without me. Um, absolutely, they could do it without me. Me not being on that show again, it's not going to be a huge change. There's not going to be a big piece missing. Um, Mike and Kevin Beckett already do their own show, uh, and they'll continue because again, I. I I don't add much technically to that show. And once we're able to do that, as we build our software and our technology out, we'll be able to do more of those uh, shows. Right now, even when Mike and Kevin are on the air, I have to be in the studio. So -hmm. it's not like I I freed up any time. I have to be there. uh, That's Mm -hmm. what we're building out. So once we do that, we'll start Mm -hmm. moving all of those shows. They'll, They'll become a little more independent, they'll be doing it without me. But we're able to build those kind of relay. I would have never been able to do that on Sirius. I would, they, they probably would have put their foot down and said, no, you can't, you know, have Thursday just be Mike and Kevin Beckett and you're not there. Um, we can do that now. We can mm-hmm. do whatever the hell we want. Everything's ours. Mm-hmm. So we're able to build stronger and better partnerships. And, and like you just said, all of those people bring so much value. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, 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 I listened to uh, Mike explain how to how to check the front end alignment manually with the duct tape and draw yeah. your line with a sharpie and measure and then roll it from, yep. from like uh, eight p.m. around to 
3 p.m. or 4 p.m. and then measure again. And if you're more than, what is it, an eight, you're, you're dragging the tire down the road 50 miles a day. If you're more than an eight, you need that alignment done. And I, I'm like, you know, anytime I've ever felt like a car was pulling to the left or the right and I've checked my air pressure and, and, and I, I, just, I better get this alignment checked. I don't recall ever saying to a shop, no, no, my buddy's shop doesn't do alignments and stuff, but, 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 but I don't recall ever saying to a shop, can you check the alignment for me and then coming back? No, it was aligned. They always, <laughs> the, the hardware approach to that is that they put a device on there and say, yeah, it needed alignment. Do, is it, do they, do they always get a line when you say, can you check the alignment? That work. You, you know, you're breaking up a little bit there, but, um, we were talking about the CMC earlier, and one of the things, um, Mike Beckett was a big part of the CMC. Pittsburgh Power was a big part of the CMC. T&E and, and uh, Chad and Alignment and, and a lot of other companies. One of the things I loved when Mike Beckett had a lot of time is he's able to explain a lot of that alignment process, you know, and you can see it and there's visuals. Um there was a point I wanted to make about that, but I just, it'll come to me here in a second. Um, Mike may, oh, I know what it was. He can take about a, a half hour, sometimes even longer, and explain all of the reasons why the typical alignment shop puts out such poor work and and he doesn't do it a lot on the air because he doesn't want to just keep coming on and bashing all the other alignment shops but when you hear from start to finish what really happens and why things can go so wrong at a traditional alignment shop it's very eye-opening yeah yeah i can imagine i can imagine well that i i doesn't mike have a book Kevin, that, that, that can be bought he, online or something like a, he a has, paperback book that you can learn all about it? He has two books, two really good books on alignment. You can get them in our store at letstruck.com. I want to add okay. that, yeah, definitely up to my library because I just listen to him they, feel like I at, always come away knowing a little bit more understanding. At home in my studio, um, they're on the bookcase right there in my studio, so I can grab them when I need to. They're really good reference. And they're good when you first get them, sit down and read them from front to back. It's amazing what you're going to come okay. away with knowing. Um, and then I just keep them on hand as a reference. Right, right. Well, Kevin, um, I've taken up enough of your time. Hey, I did really enjoy, too, last Wednesday, um, Destination Health, the, the girl that spoke on the continuous glucose monitor. Yeah. Really, really uh, interesting stuff. I I am a type 2 diabetic and uh, and been struggling with keeping getting my numbers down. I haven't had the exercise, wife and I, out of the last – we've been home for a few days, but we've been – I would say 90% of the time stopping the truck every day to get our 30 minutes of walking time in. Good. But even Good. that, I think we got to switch and do, do some dumbbells and some leg curls or whatever things we can do on the so, truck. We've got a resistance band on here. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. So um, we're going to get, um, I, I got to make sure I, I, I had two um, guests on last week and, in my mind, I can easily mix these two up. They even look very similar. Um, we had Danielle from Four Sigmatic 
on the adaptogens in the sleep, we released that three-part series we did with Danielle. Uh, and the woman you're referring to is Kara Collier from NutraSense. Uh, and we're going to get her back mm-hmm. because we covered a lot of good stuff. But there's so much more we could cover. So uh, we're going to get her back soon. You know, the one thing that, that really just uh, that jumped off, the, off through the speaker on me is when you were when you were speaking to it that you don't, you didn't use them all the time the, the continuous monitor, but but that one of the things you did was when you were stressing your body, how your sugar just went through the roof yep. over stress, not anything related with diet. And I'm like, wow, you know, my daughter's a my daughter's a nurse, and she's only been in it for about two years, and she delivers babies at a local hospital. In Atlanta, and and um, and we're always having these conversations about the metabolic system and what have you, and, and she's always trying to encourage me to go to the intermittent fast and only eat for a five-hour window. So Good, tougher Good. than you think on a semi truck all day. But 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 anyway, uh, you know, it's it's definitely brought up a lot of uh, a lot of conversation with 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 her and I about how that goes, and, and uh, I'm excited about investigating further that uh, continuous monitor. She had said, you know, Dad, maybe your sleep is so broken because you're bouncing over bridge joints all the time since you and Mom are teaming that your cortisol levels are skyrocket, skyrocketing or, or you, you know, that, hey, that's causing uh, your sugars to be a little out of control. Uh, you should spend more time talking to your daughter. She's sharp. She's right on with that. Uh, we've, we've identified yeah. it as probably, you know, when we first started doing health with drivers, um, and we talked to other practitioners and kind of explained what it was all about. They would get this look in their eyes and they're like, well, how are you going to solve those problems? I mean, they were shocked at some of the things we had to deal with. We've been really successful mm-hmm. at solving many of those problems. The one where we're, I'm struggling with, and, and it's going to become a, a project for me here pretty soon, is the issue of team drivers. It, it is the biggest challenge we have to deal with. One of the things you will learn about blood sugar that I was shocked by, the patterns that we're able to see throughout the day, I, I recognize them quickly. I know what causes them, whether it's food or a stress spike or other things. The blood sugar patterns at night are all over the board. They're nothing like they are in the day. And your, your daughter's when people are sleeping when you're sleeping, when you're trying to, uh, or when you're sleeping okay. or, or yeah, that, that the period that you're not awake, whether it's day or night or whatever it is. Um, and if your period of sleep is during the day and not overnight, which is natural for a human, then your blood sugar gets even crazier, but there are other issues. And, and your daughter was right on cortisol becomes an issue and cortisol is a stress hormone. So when the body releases cortisol, your blood sugar is going to go up. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we start out every day, my wife and I, with a goal. We're going to get 1,000 miles today. We're going to get 1,000 miles today. We're company drivers. We drive all 48. And about six months ago, we started parking the truck sometime between midnight and 2 a.m. Sometimes it's 3 a.m. Sometimes it's 4 a.m. For three hours a night. Good idea. To add to our six hours of bouncing sleep. Good idea. Three hours of steady sleep. She gets her six hours after three hours of good sleep. And I just move to the top bunk when it's time when she gets a parking place. I, you know, I didn't I didn't know this. 
you never struggle to find a parking place when you only need it for three hours, and especially Western states. With oh, yeah. You can always find an exit ramp where always. you're out in the middle of right. nowhere. But, yep. you know, you know, my mentor told me that one thing they drill into you at, at uh, Landstar is they had a $100 million lawsuit or ex- settlement against them 2016 or something, and they they absolutely forbid any stoppage of any Landstar equipment on a ramp anywhere, ever. You know, it's got I, to be a truck stop. It's got to be a rest area. I'm like, wow, I'm going to have to drink smaller cups of coffee or something. Yeah, you know, it. Um, I, I grew up in trucking and, and my whole family, all of my brothers, and, you know, I have seven siblings and my brother-in-laws and my uncles and everybody was in trucking and... Um, one of my older brothers, boy, this was a long time ago, and he first started driving, uh, had parked on an exit ramp. And uh, there was a whole line of trucks down the exit ramp that was the only place left to park. And he pulled in, and he was the last one in line, and he was kind of on the road almost at the time. Not on the road, in the, you know, he was off the side, and there was an exit lane there but it wasn't really on the mm-hmm. ramp yet. And while he was sleeping, he mm-hmm. had a car run into the back of him and it killed the guy. That was pretty horrendous. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. That wow. was tough. Before, when things weren't quite as litigious as they are today with billboards in every small town and great city everywhere, with attorneys on them everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So um, I understand why Landstar has that policy. They are a huge target. Right, right. I'm sure they are. Like, and and it happened to somebody in my company just recently. It didn't kill the person, but but they did get uh, they did they they did somebody parked on a ramp and they, and they and somebody ran ran into them and they ended up getting hurt pretty bad. So yeah, hospitalized and such. You know, one more thing. What my wife and I we I call what we do flatbed light. Uh, we haul we haul uh, containers from city to city. Um, four, four or five at the most on our truck. We're never more than about 54,000, 55,000 gross total everything. And, um, but we don't get a lot of backing experience. We never touch a dock. So one of the things we did helping ourselves get prepared for our future is we, we when one of our yards, our, our yards are a ghost town on after three o'clock on Saturday. And we were, we had plenty of time to get to our customer before Monday with a 34 instead of having a 38 hour reset in the middle. We stopped and dropped our flatbed and picked up a dry van and then spent about three hours practicing. That's awesome. And, and 90. Yeah. Cause, that's cause awesome. We, don't, we, we never get that option. Right. You know, right now that's good. Thank so, you. You know, one last thing you'll be, well, you know, struggling with when you do make that switch. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Perfect. So, well, Kevin, thank you again for uh, all you're doing for us out here. It's very uh, enjoyable to listen and re-listen at any time. And, and just thanks again. You're welcome. And uh, thank you for all the support. Look forward to talking to you again soon. Let's go to Ohio. Mike, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. Sounds like you're having a good day today. I think so, considering uh, Even though I, I, I spent most of the night no sleep bouncing around <laughs> listening to the train horn and and reading jack reacher instead of getting any sleep i did get uh i don't know how long it was let me think i uh i remember seeing talking to lisa this morning at seven o'clock saying i had three hours before i had to go on the air here in central time and then i ate breakfast and then i took a shower and then i laid i probably got a pretty 
deep hour and a half sleep, and I feel pretty darn good. The uh, the double well, shot good. of espresso probably didn't hurt either. I have a really it's a uh, the the right. um, the conference set up all the the hotels and meals and all that stuff and. They put us in a really nice little boutique hotel in downtown Memphis called the Memphian. Um, it's got an awesome little, oh, yeah, I've got an awesome little uh, espresso cappuccino maker right in my room. Oh, that sounds pretty nice. Yeah. Well, I, I have a simple question for you. All right. Um, It was either Thursday or Friday. You said you had to run to the pollster's office to get yourself re-registered to vote. I was yeah. just wondering how that went for you. Couldn't have been easier. Um, you know, fortunately the county, you know, I always talk about, I, I live in a small town. Um, I also live in a county that's really all small towns. I mean, the biggest, the county seat is Hood River right. and Hood River's not, you know, any kind of thriving metropolis. It's a fairly small place. Um, mostly very yeah. tourist oriented. We've got Mount Hood, um, is in Hood River. Um, we have the Hood River Valley, which they actually call um, the the roads there the Fruit Loop. We grow a ton of uh, all the fruit that the whole nation eats. All the stone fruit tends to be grown there. Uh, stone fruit right. and apples. So a lot of apples, a lot of peaches, pears, mm-hmm. apricots, um, a lot of wine now coming out of the Hood River Valley, and then Hood River itself. Mm. Um, is world famous for its wind sports on the river, uh, windsurfing, kiteboarding, the new, the the latest thing on the water, which I'm doing now, wing foiling. Uh, so really very, very tourist oriented. So pretty small. Um, that's where the county seat is. So the election office, I walked in, nobody else was even in the office. I walked right up to the counter. I said, hey, I called yesterday. They sent my ballot back. And she said, are you Kevin Rutherford? And I said, yeah. And she said, I've got your ballot right here. She handed me my ballot. I filled it out and dropped it right in the box. Couldn't have been easier. (laughs) Well, it wasn't two hour wait like you're... I think it was going to be right. Yeah, exactly. I didn't know what to expect. You know, it, it's election time. What you know, I I'm used to. Um, for a lot of years, I lived in Orlando, and elections were just right. a total hassle. Um, no real early voting options back then, um, and you just had to go stand in line. And Orlando was growing so yeah. fast that elections, you just knew you were going to wipe out at least a half a day to go vote. So to be in this small town, right. small county now was so nice. Like I said, I walked up and Shardy knew who I was. <laughs> You're the guy that they messed up on. <laughs> you know, it, it's, uh, the, yeah, my mind went there right away. The first time you, you really screw up my mail and it happens to be my ballot makes me wonder. But like I said, they, they were they were wonderful. Well, it took I'm, me to, and it was easy to vote because um, Lisa already had her ballot, so we went over all the issues together and all the candidates. So it was really I opened up the ballot, checked all the boxes, didn't have to read anything. I knew what everything was, and I, I was in and out of there in under ten minutes. Well, I'm I'm glad it went very well for you then. Yes, me too. So I voted. Yeah. Well. That's good. So you've been talking about your train trip. Well, I'm, I'm glad it 
you had some enjoyment out of it. I did. Even uh, it, it was kind of rough on the, la- on the last part of it. Well, you know, every night was rough on sleep. Three nights I was on the train and I didn't sleep good at all. So, you know, I made a lot of progress on my sleep over the last three weeks, but uh, I, I kind of did a number on it on the train. I just couldn't just, get couldn't you, get comfortable. You, um, everything mm-hmm. seemed to, to bother me. And it just, maybe it was all in my head, but it seemed like during the day, the tracks were always nice and smooth. And then at night, it just seemed like we were always in the worst section of track. And then this last section down here was just awful. So uh, I, I, I'm hoping um, I'm in a nice hotel. Uh, even though I have two conferences this week, my schedule's not that bad, really. So I, I think I'm going to have plenty of time to relax and um, maybe get back to that good sleep again. Well, that'll be good. Okay. Well, you have a good rest of the day, Kevin. All right, you too. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Oklahoma. Paul, welcome. Howdy. Howdy. Hey. I was uh, Before you get started. What? Uh, another story from yep. the train. So, when you are in the uh, sleeper cars, you also have there's a dining room for It's kind of like a first-class thing. The sleeper cars are kind of like first-class on an airplane. So there's a dining car. Did you get lamb chop? No, I didn't. But the way they do the the dining car is breakfast and lunch are just, you know, when you show up, they put you at a table and they serve you. And dinner, you usually get a time, um, a reservation, kind of like a cruise if anybody's ever been on a cruise. But... and I think they do this on a lot of cruises too, Um, they seat people together. So if you're a couple and it's a four-top table, you're going to get, you're going to sit with another couple or two other people or they fill up each table before they start seating at another table. So I, I was by myself. So I was always going to get, you know, seated with somebody. I, it just was a coincidence Almost every meal, I got seated with the same guy. We just kept showing up at about the same time. And then we both happened to pick the same time at dinner. I spent a lot of time talking to this guy. He's from New Zealand. Oh, okay. He actually... uh, Was he he, visiting or is he living it? So he's actually working on dual citizenship. His parents live in Illinois. He was coming... um, He was on his way to Illinois to... uh, to see them, but he spends a lot of time in both countries. He runs the IT department at some big university in New Zealand. And he's also worked at IT departments in like five different universities around the U.S. And now, because of COVID and how tight New Zealand locked down, um, he and most of his job now is done from home. He ended up, you know, working remote and they haven't really gone back. So he's able to travel a lot now uh, to the U.S. So he's working on dual citizenship. Oh, there you have it. So he was here like three months this last summer and he's going to be here like six weeks this time. Yeah, I'd be spending the summers in New Zealand and the summers over here. No winters. I don't like winter. Well, that's actually his plan. That's what he said. He said once he has the, yep. the dual citizenship all done, he said he's just going to live in perpetual summer, which is pretty cool. 
There you go. Yeah. Best way to be. Yeah. yeah. No, it's pretty warm. Yeah. <laughs> um, talking about New Zealand, when it's 22, 23 years since I left there, but the guy I worked for, he was only a small company, but we had some pretty good business. Well, we used to load two freight forwarder units, so you'd have anything and everything, household goods, lumber, food, everything, all in the medical supplies, all in the same trailer. Um, so, But you had to go to, you might go to 18 or 20 different places to load that V-train yeah. in the day. Yeah. So you... Like you'd unload your bulk load in the morning, and then you'd he'd tell you you're loading the freight forwarders. Oh, okay. So you, you might not finish till midnight, between ten o'clock. And if you're really efficient, you could be done by nine thirty, but not very often, because you get somewhere and too many trucks loading, you couldn't even get in there or get a forklift to load your stuff. So because the driver actually loaded the trailers, so it was what. There was a lot of fingerprint freight, which means every single box you put your fingerprints on it while you're loading it. Yeah. So, and then once you'd finished loading, you'd unhook it, and then someone would tow another bulk loaded trailer up, drop it, and hook onto the loaded one. They'd drag it home. So he had two guys that were permanent night shift, and all they did was a trailer swap. And then... So then the next day, you'd get your bulk unit, your bulk load, and deliver it, and then you'd load another bulk load and go back home. So it worked out. It was a pretty good system, but you know we, the, do a lot, we still do a lot of that, New Zealand trailer swaps. So you have, but you'll have one truck that is, has two drivers. One does a day shift, one does a night shift. And it, when that truck is back at the, at the main end, um, it gets used to go and load that other bulk load or make local regional deliveries. And so it's a double shifted truck and works all day and all night, basically. You know, that that's um, in a lot of ways, that was really similar to my early experience in trucking. And I think it's a, a it's such a intense way of learning a lot about trucking all the stops, all the different freight, all the, you know, and that was a lot like how I got started. I, you know, I said, I started doing P and D work in the day. So you're doing, I mean, there were days I did 30 stops. That's 30 docks and they're city docks. I mean, these aren't big distribution warehouses with, you know, acres and acres. These are tiny little companies where you're picking up, you know, 15 boxes or a half a pallet or two barrels or, you know, a, pieces of yep. pipe or just all kinds of crazy stuff. And they're little companies with little docks. Yeah, anything and everything. Yeah, yep. so you, you get good at learning a lot of different freight. You get really good at backing up and backing into tight places. Then, like I said, I got the opportunity to do the doubles at night with line haul. And then when I put the trucks on at what was RPS back then and became FedEx, um, I had a similar thing. My I had... When I first started there, I contracted one truck. I had to, that truck did P&D work all day long with one driver, uh, spotted trailers, delivered packages, picked up packages, um, fingerprinted everything. When you're picking up for FedEx, not yep. only do you have to fingerprint every box, you have to scan every box. 
because that's you know the, each box no, is a shipment. Do, we didn't do that. Yeah, right. That every box yeah. was a shipment basically. So that yeah. was pretty intense. And then that truck at night did line haul, so it was running day and night. And as that terminal started to grow. My one truck during the day wasn't enough to cover all the P&D work, and I would then rent their yard tractor. They had a tractor that they used just to move trailers around in the yard. During the day, I would rent that yep. from them and go cover that extra work until we had enough of it that I could go out and I put on a second truck. But that was my first My first year in, in trucking was all P&D. Then I bought a truck and went on the road for a year. And then after that year, I came back and, and put a driver in the truck on the road. I had a driver in the truck doing P&D. And then I put my first truck on at, at RPS. So my first three years in the business, I got a lot of really intense experience with a lot of those things. I think it was a great way to start. Yeah. Yeah, well, that guy I worked for, like he'd give a, a, he'd give a young guy a, a chance but you started at the bottom and you had to work your way up. Oh yeah. Like if, if some young guy came to, if some young guy came to him, Oh yeah, I've got my license or even some would show up and they wouldn't have a license, but he'd, he'd train him and he'd train him the way he wanted them to learn. Yeah. You know, um, and he was, even though he was the boss, it was his name on the door. And he had, when I left, he had 27. So when I first started for him, I took my truck to him because the company I worked for, they went out of business. And when I showed up to work for him, that mean he had four trucks. And when I had, he had 27. But even though he was the guy in the office doing the pricing, he did everything. If there was a load that needed to be load or tied on or tarped, he'd be out there beside you doing it. Yeah, so yeah. You didn't work for him. You worked with him. Which so is awesome. A real good he taught me a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And he wouldn't, he wouldn't send you to do a job that he hadn't done. You, you know, he'd done them all. So, you know, um, my advice, I used to, I still do not as much as I used to, but I get a lot of people that, you know, they, they came to me when they wanted to buy their first truck and be an owner operator. And I helped them. And, you know, if you do this right, you know, this, there's a lot of money to be made in this industry. There always has. If you do it right, there's a lot of money to be yeah. made. So a lot of times those people would come back to me within a year or two and, and they'd want to put on a second truck. And the, the way it would usually work is they loved what they were doing and they saw some other opportunity to put a truck on somewhere else. And they would call me and say, you know, I'm going to buy this truck and my brother-in-law wants to dry it. And I, I'd say, just stop, just stop right there. Because uh, I'm about to tell you what you don't yeah. want to hear. If you plan on doing this, first off, don't hire your brother-in-law. Never works. Um, and don't do it this. Don't hire family. Do, or your best friend. Or it was, they would, they would come to me and I'd say, wait a minute. Were you planning on doing this? Or are you doing this because your brother-in-law needs a job? Or your best friend? or And yeah. it almost always turned out their brother-in-law needed a job. And my first thing was, if they can't find a job in trucking, you shouldn't hire them. That's the first thing. 
because yeah, yeah, they're not they're not going to be any good. Exactly. Come on, <laughs> right. it's, it's there's, yeah. I can't think of any industry where it's so easy to get a job, and if they can't find one and they're coming to you, that's a problem. But second off, if you're, you're if you're going to do this and you want my advice, put the driver in the truck and the operation you are doing now because you know it, and you go take the new operation. Because you put a driver in that truck doing something you don't know, it will fail almost every time. They're going to tell you all kinds of crap that why they couldn't make this delivery or why they're only getting four and a half miles to the gallon. And and you won't know any better. But if you put them in the operation you already know, they can't lie to you. You know what's going on. Yep. So the other thing today... uh, you know, you're talking about earlier, I think you mentioned something about the pipeline getting hacked and everything like that. Yeah. Well, my wife and I, we're in a Walmart. We walk in and it's like, you in some sort of a power outage here or something? Because half the lights weren't working. And he's like, oh, yeah, we're on backup power or something. Oh, okay. So we only had to get a few things. So I race around the store quickly, get everything. And then we're over there in the, the meat section. And next thing, guy comes over and he says, we're closed. You're going to have to leave. Oh, okay. So I race back and grabbed a bag of cat food and get up to the registers because some of the registers were still working when we went in there. Well, then it got to the point where the whole system crashed in there. Apparently, their backup generator, it only works the lights part way, but it's two hours before it comes on full bore. So now we're at the other Walmart to get our few groceries, but. They couldn't do anything because the power was off. Yeah. They couldn't check out anybody, even if you had cash, because they couldn't ring it up. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, ridiculous. And, and all of, you know, we're spoiled in this country. We've never had to think about or worry about things like that. But those days are over. We're at a place right now where all of those things could happen to any of us any day, any day almost anywhere in the country right now. Yeah, and but a lot of people just don't understand. I don't think because they say, "Oh, well, I'll just pay cash." Right. Well, so, if they can't ring it up and tell you the total, you don't know how much. It, and so, the average Walmart Walmart employee, some of them would struggle to <laughs> operate a calculator. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, they they'd have to have a new policy. They'd have to let all their employees go barefoot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I said. I said, to, I said, and it's a Walmart that I go to frequently. I said to the, the lady that was on the checkout, and I said, Walmart, I said, seeing I don't have much and I'm here frequently, I said, Walmart should just gift everyone their groceries today and rack it up to customer yeah. satisfaction. Exactly. So, yeah. yeah. Well, it, that's but, why. No, when, they didn't. You'll have to leave. W- yeah. When you hear me talk about yeah. this, cash is one thing. You should always have plenty of cash. But then I also talk about food mm-hmm. and water. You should have that on the truck. It, not thinking, oh, well, I have plenty yep. of cash. If the credit card system goes down, I'll use cash. Well, you might not be able to use cash either. So for the things that are really yeah. important, yeah. like food and water um, and some emergency supplies, you know, I, I, when I travel, not like traveling like this, cause I just don't have room for it. But when I travel, I have a, a, a medic level um, emergency medical kit. 
Not one of these, you know, little plastic yeah. things you buy at, at Walmart that says, you know, emergency medical kit. This is a yeah. backpack yeah. and it's, it's medic level. Yeah. I, I, I don't know how to yep. use half the stuff in there, but I actually have a couple of books I should probably learn, but I at least have the stuff. Um, and I know people think I'm a freak to be that prepared, but uh, I'd rather be that prepared and never, ever need it than not be prepared when something happens. Well, the way this world's going, you better be prepared. So certainly yeah. seems like so. it. Yeah. Yep. So, all right. That's all I got today. I'll start my Walmart shopping again. So uh, that's all I need. Thanks for the call. Looks like uh, we're gonna. Well, right here in Tennessee, Bruce. Welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. I've got a truck that my engine has quit on me. Uh, something is broken inside, so I need to replace my engine. Uh, and uh, d- trying d- to don't tell me what happened. Pardon? Tell me what happened. I was going down the road. I was on cruise control doing about sixty-eight, and all of a sudden it started knocking. I got pulled over to the side right away, and it it's done. It won't turn over. The uh, I've had a mechanic. They put a wrench on the uh, of the uh, crank, and they can't move it at all. It won't move it. It, it won't move anything. What engine? It's a Cummins ISX fifteen. Fifteen. How many miles are on it? It's got a hundred eighty thousand on a rebuild. How many miles? I didn't do the rebuild. I bought. How many miles were on it when it had the rebuild? 727. Why did you buy this truck? Mm. <laughs> um, you know, because it, it had a rebuild on it. I thought, that's the reason you shouldn't have I bought that it. Would, hmm. you, first off, let I me say, my, you, you thought about this the way almost everybody does, and it's wrong. It's wrong thinking. But everybody looks at that early in frame as though it's some sort of a bonus. I look at it as why the hell did they have to do an in frame at 700,000 miles when this engine should last twice that long? Did anybody tell you why they had to do an in frame at 700,000? No, I don't think he did tell me. I don't remember that. There's, I only, think I was there's only two reasons. Like you- Something went fatally wrong, like we we had a a problem with the engine right from the manufacturing process, or somebody abused the engine so badly that it didn't last. I don't care which one it is. I don't want that truck. That is a huge criteria for me. When a truck gets an early in-frame or an early transmission or had to have the differentials replaced early, that's a no-go for me. I don't even look any further. Cross it off the list, move on. So that's a a lesson for you in the future and a lesson for everybody else listening. And it kind of came true, didn't it? Yeah. Okay, so lesson one learned. Now, Now, here's here's, the next mistake. What do I do with it? Well, the first thing I would do, they, they tried to turn the crank manually or tried to turn the engine manually. Did they drop the oil pan? Nope, they have not. 
I asked him to, and he's like, it's toast. The oil is burned, and he won't do anything more with it. Well, then you're at the wrong shop. Okay. Do you have a relationship with a good engine shop? Not really, no. Where's the truck right now? It's in South Dakota, Sioux Falls area. Um, I don't know anybody up there. Bruce might. Uh, I would call, do you have any relationship with Pittsburgh Power? Well, I talked to Aaron and talked to him about it for a little while, but he basically is telling me the same thing that the mechanic was telling me, that you're going to have to replace that motor. I would still want to drop the pan. I mean, but not here, not at a shop that just says, no, there's no reason to. If nothing else, I'm just curious. Can we can we see what the hell happened? Right. Um, So (laughs) that's what's driving me crazy. I want to make sure I haven't done something wrong. And look, there's an outside chance. I, I, I wasn't there. I didn't you know, see the oil, smell the oil. I'm not hands-on. There's an outside chance. Maybe something can be fixed here. And, and I, if I can, I, although this thing got rebuilt once already, there, there's some problem with this engine. So maybe we are better off just starting all over. Um, but again, who are you going to let do this work? Well, I can't get rid of it if it doesn't, I can't get rid of it if it doesn't run. Well, you can. You can sell it for scrap. It's not a great idea, but but it, it, have you gotten any estimates on on how are you going to do this? Are you going to buy a used engine? Are you going to buy a long block? What are you going to do? That that's what I that's where I'm stuck. I don't know whether to buy a remand engine how, or how much a did you long pay block for, or which direction to go. How much did you pay for the truck? Fifty thousand. Fifty thousand. How much do you owe on it? Thirty-five. Oof. Uh, they want almost sixty to fix it. Well, you're in the wrong place. It's going to be expensive, but sixty's outrageous. You can't afford okay. sixty, and this truck isn't worth sixty. No. It, you're, it's not worth right. it to put it, sixty I mean, into not- this truck. Now. I, I, you're going to feel like I'm beating up on you because I'm going to, but I, I'm doing it with for good reasons and with good intentions. I'm not doing it just to beat up on you. I'm doing it because I want people to learn from things like this. Um, yeah. that, that buying decision is so important. And when you make a mistake during that first initial buying, there are times when we can't fix it. This is one of them. We can't fix this. Not right. Then, and it's not even like you can start over. You have to start over in a huge hole. It's not like we can say, oh, we made a big mistake. Let's just walk away and try again. You can't. That this is so important. I I have an entire chapter in my book. If you would have read that chapter, you would have not bought this truck. People say, oh, my God, I can't believe you charged $225 for a book. Or, or, and now it's a program. It's not a book anymore. Um, yet $225 sounds kind of cheap now, doesn't it? 
Yeah. And I'm not doing that just to promote my book. I do like selling books. That's how I make money. That's how I stay in business. That's how I do everything else I do. But there, there's, there's some really good stuff in there that unless you seek out that information in a program like mine or somebody else's or somebody who's taken the time to write a program like this, unless you seek it out, there would be no way for you to know it. You weren't, you didn't do something dumb. You did something out of ignorance. And that's a very different thing. You just didn't know. And you don't know what you don't know. That's why my whole program focuses so much on education. Because you can't know this. I mean, you you have to be taught these things. and, And that's what I try to do. And, you know, I always try to figure out how can I reach more people and convince them that, $2,000 $2,000 for that program would be worth it. I, I can't, the market won't bear that, but honestly, I could say there's at least $2,000 worth of value in that program. In your case, there's about $50,000 worth of value in that program. Right. So I, I, I wish I had a better answer for you now, but I don't. Every answer we have now sucks. And we just have to figure out which one sucks the least. That That's the best we can do right now. That, we just have to figure out which one sucks yeah. the least. So what I can tell you is I am absolutely willing to help you with this. And the best time for us to do this would be on a Tuesday, not tomorrow because it's not live tomorrow, but on a Tuesday, a Tuesday and a Friday, There's no reason you can't call both days because not only will you get all of my experience and my answers, you'll get Bruce and Pete and Ethan and John and Joel. Let everybody weigh in on this. Let everybody come up with some ideas for you. That's what we're here for. So if I were you, I would plan on, and I'm going to give you some things to do between now and Friday. And I would plan on calling us on Friday and I, oh, nope, not this Friday either. Sorry. All of this is going to happen next week. So you have a week to get some homework done. Then you should plan on calling us on Tuesday and Friday of next week, and you'll get lots of opinions and lots of ideas. What you should be doing in the next week is putting numbers to all your options. We already know if you stay at the place you're at, they're going to want $60,000 to do what? What was their option? A, a, A remand engine? Yeah, by a remand engine. Who's who's going to do the remand? It's coming from Cummins, he said. Okay, okay. And and it should be at that price. Um, So that's one option. So I want you to start getting all of this in writing. You know, if they have a quote, just take the quote. Um, And then I want you to start calling other shops. I would... In your situation, because remember, there are no good answers. We're just looking for the one that sucks the least. I would be on the phone every day between now and next week looking for a used engine. That may be, end up being our cheapest option. We're taking a little bit of risk. And, and I normally, I wouldn't want to take that risk. But we're in a situation where right. we don't get good answers. We just try to find what sucks the least, and we have to take some more risk again. And we have to take risk I don't even like taking. Right. But that it, we, we need to know what all of our options are, what each one's going to cost. 
then when you call us, you're going to get six different opinions and we're going to help you figure out which option sucks the least. So I would still want to know. No, I do. No, I'm going to take that one back. I, I wouldn't want to rebuild this engine. It, it, it's got a problem somewhere. So we just need to get away from that. So our options are going to be um, a long block and then build it yourself or the, I mean the shop build it for you. Um, a factory reman that we just drop in and, and bolt up. Uh, or a used engine that that we swap. I want your homework is to get prices on all three of those. Okay. Okay. And then call us back, and you're going to get, like I said, not just my experience and opinions. You're going to get a bunch of them. Okay, sounds good. All right. Yep. Just, uh, I, I'm going to steal a line from Dave Ramsey here because Dave has a lot of good lines. Um, all of this money you're about to spend, we call that a stupid tax. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've been yeah. saying that for a couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, I don't know I, how stupid I was. Uh, I mean, well, like, like I, I said, I keep trying to blame myself. Well, it is your I, I fault. I keep trying to blame myself for something uh, something I did wrong with the engine. I don't think that. I don't think that at all. The, okay. Look, it, today's engines, I, I'm not going to say they're bulletproof, but it would take a real... You can't drive a truck bad enough to... Well, an ISX, I, I will say there is one thing that the ISX does not stand up well to. And, and if you were doing this, because I, I want to help you with this, if this were the case, when you hear us talk about downspeeding engines all the time, especially the Volvos and, and somewhat downspeeding the DD series, and we're excited about the new international engine, we'll be able to downspeed that. The one engine you don't want to play around with downspeeding at all is the ISX. The bottom end won't hold up to it. If you run that thing at a low RPM, mm. it, that bottom end will not hold up to it. And that sounds like what might have gone hmm. wrong here. I don't know why they did the original in-frame, if that was cylinder kits or uh, cam issues on the ISX. or uh, The ISX has had so many, uh, uh, so many issues that can take out an engine. They had the fuel pump that could go wrong and take out the engine. They had the oil filters clogging that could cause bearing issues. They had the cam issues that if they were bad enough, they could take out an engine. Um, but you can also do a ton of damage to an ISX by running at too low of an RPM. Okay. I don't really feel like I did run it too low. I, I, I don't drive fast, but I keep my RPMs up pretty good. Yeah. That, that, so most of the time the driver doesn't have that much of an impact. These, these engines are, are pretty hardy. Uh, the ISX has some weak points, so I've never been a fan of that engine. Uh, but, you know, Bruce with lots and lots of experience and other people at Pittsburgh Power and lots of other people love the ISX. I, I just never have. I loved the N14. Right. I loved the big cams way back. Um, the the first time I saw an ISX, I thought, why the hell is that thing so complicated? That's all I could think about that engine is it just looks really complicated to me. Hmm. Okay, well, I don't know these things. I'm just a driver. I don't 
I'm not. Well, first off, first off, we need to uh, hold on. We need to change your attitude and your vocabulary. You're not a company driver, are you? No. Okay. So, but even when somebody calls me and they say it like this, I'm just a company driver. I hate that statement. The word just turns that whole statement into something very negative and it shouldn't be. Just drop the word just. If you say, I'm a company driver, that's a statement of fact. That's how it should be said. When you say, I'm just a company or I'm just a driver, that devalues you. Why would you do that? Don't. Don't devalue. And and you're not a driver. You have to stop thinking that you're a driver. You're a business owner. And you better learn this stuff. Or go back to being a company driver. One of the two. Okay. So you got a lot to think about. Maybe maybe you should yeah. do some soul searching here. And I, I'm if I'm being hard on you, it's on purpose. There's a reason. I, I want to wake it's you up fine. and I want to shake you up a little bit and get you to think. And maybe here's what I'm going to do. Um, I'm assuming you did not read the book or take my course. I have read some of it. You mean I didn't you, do the whole thing. You own it? <laughs> uh, yeah. I was going to give you a copy, but I don't have to because you already have. So you saved me some money today. Um, here's what I want you to do. I want you to, before you even go look at prices on this, because th- this may change everything. We may have to come up with a whole new strategy on how you get out of this without losing your shirt. Um, I want you to go back and focus on the first several chapters of the book and do all of the worksheets. There's a lot of worksheets. And and the first couple of chapters, all of the work in the first couple of chapters is designed to help you decide if you really should be an owner-operator or not. And I don't think you've you've really worked through those issues at all. Okay. Before you get further in the hole, you know the best lesson when you find yourself in a hole? You got to figure out how to get out. No, no, that's not the first thing you should do when you find yourself in a hole. When you find yourself in a hole, stop digging. You're about to dig a bigger (laughs) hole. Stop it. We got to take a step back. Let's go back and figure out if, if this is really what you should be doing. Okay. So okay. the sooner you do that, then I want you to call me back when, when you're done with that. So whether that's Monday, um, if you want to, and I would make it a priority. I'd start on it when I got off this phone call. Um, I... I don't have another live day this week other than a health day, and I don't want to cover something this important on a health day. Uh, I won't cover something this important on a health day. So you have till next Monday to really work through that stuff. And did you hear the caller earlier, the husband and wife team that I'm helping get started? Yeah. Did you hear what they said? They've been through all those worksheets, and they're going to go do it again. And they're nowhere near buying oh, their yeah. truck yet. They're at least six months away. 
and they're going to go work through it again. You could work through the first couple chapters in that book about five times between now and next Monday. Did I lose you? Or are you just thinking? Okay. Yeah, no, I, I'm you. just, I don't know what else to say. <laughs> okay. And there's nothing left to say. It's time to go do the hard work. Okay. All right. I'll get on it. I will look forward to hearing back Thank from you. you. You're welcome. All right. Uh, that's going to wrap it up today. Um, I'm just reading a note from Lisa. Uh, I think we can let him go do his homework and um, he'll either do the homework and call us back or he won't. Uh, he's got everything he needs. He already has the program. I was going to give it to him, but he already has it. I was pretty clear on uh, what I think he should do. And at this point, he's got some thinking to do. We, we are done for the day. I just looked around to check on everything. Um, we're going to wrap this up. Uh, different week this week. I think you're, you're going to, I hope you're going to like the recorded shows. I think they were pretty darn good. A little different week this week and nothing wrong with that. So uh, enjoy the shows this week. I will be back here live on Wednesday for Destination Health. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.